and welcome to the back page of video games podcast i'm sammy roberts and i'm joined as ever by matthew castle hello matthew how's it going have you uh, been enjoying the last jewel on disney plus i just wanted to talk about this film with you so um, that's how i've kicked off the <laughs> oh, podcast i enjoyed it at the cinema and thought wow many of my peers would probably enjoy this too if they saw this film and now they have the opportunity to because like you say it's on disney plus yeah, indeed. Yeah, so been watching that Ridley Scott film made twenty nine million at the box office, cost a hundred million to make. So um, <laughs> not great economically, but what a great film! Seriously, that was uh, I was blown away by it. It was like probably the best film of his I've seen in about I don't know since Gladiator. Uh, I, I mean, I've I've been told this Kingdom of Heaven director's cut is good, Matthew. But uh, where does it rank <laughs> in the, the the recent Scott films to you? Uh yeah, I'd say it ranks pretty high. I've not seen his Gucci one yet, which is meant to be quite good fun. But yeah, I, I thought, you know, it's it's action light, but I thought it was kind of of a piece, sort of with Gladiator, weirdly. Like it kind of fits in with it in terms of historical epic, um, some quite nice character work around it. I mean, this is a lot more character work than it is action, but I think when the action comes, it's pretty... It's pretty meaty at the end. Oh, yeah, it sure is. What were your thoughts on um, Ben Affleck in that film? Because I thought he was terrific and the blonde yeah, wig wild. made it work. I thought, I, I thought he was having a lot of fun. I was like, this is, a, this is a man who is clearly like relieved to be involved in something a bit meaty, something to chew on. You know, he's not wearing a bat cowl <laughs> and he's just working with a director who, by all accounts, lets actors just sort of do their thing. So yeah, I thought I thought it was great. I thought they they were all good. Dodgy haircuts aside, yeah, I read a really funny thing about uh, House of Gucci. Just someone tweeted that like this film, the only thing that could improve this film is if it was thirty minutes sh- shorter and lots of Mario woohoos were inserted into every scene. And I thought <laughs> that's like that sounds pretty spot on for the tone they've gone for. Yeah, the accents and that seem pretty wild. So yes. Matthew, last week on the podcast, uh, we promised a draft. Uh, it didn't quite come together, did it? So we've, um, no. <laughs> we're doing something else. So, yeah, like we were going to do like a holiday themed draft, and Matthew sent me like five pictures, I think, maybe four. And yeah. um, they were like all sort of like in a larval state. And it was get it was getting on a bit in time, and I just thought, should we just do a podcast where we talk about the games we played this year that were from other years? That way we don't have to like audit them in the podcast about the game of the year we can just focus on stuff that came out this year so um, yeah that's what we're doing in this episode these are all games from previous years uh because partly because of this podcast but also just generally like um, we're always filling gaps in our backlog trying to learn more about uh you know our, our passion one of the one of our passions in life so mm-hmm. yeah that's um part of what we're going to discuss uh in fact it's gonna be most of what we discuss this episode me and matthew have played we've got about like eight seven or eight games to discuss each uh, so um You'll get some good meaty games chat. The chances are, by the games that are here, you'll hear about something you'll be interested in. Would you say that's fair, Matthew? Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm tr- I'm trying not to... to I, I don't think I've talked about many of these before, maybe little bits and bobs here and there. This is the, I, We've mentioned this on a previous episode, but I am beginning to struggle keeping on top of what I've talked about on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. In fact, um, just to kind of tee us up, um, I have uh, discovered something about myself that contradicts a previous opinion I had on this podcast, and that is um, <laughs> I started playing Arkham Knight again, and I thought I was pro Batmobile, but I'm not pro Batmobile. And like, oh, I I realised this within about ten minutes of the first Batmobile sequence, and I was like, oh no, I, I kind of went to bat for it, so to speak, and um, <laughs> to, on to at least two occasions, and now I kind of have to take that back. It's still a phenomenally oh. beautiful looking game, and like. 
all the Batman stuff in it is phenomenal, but fighting tanks, man, it's uh, it's no. tough out there. I'm still pro. I'm still pro Batmobile, and I have played it this year as well. Oh, there you go. That's um, just a taste of the kind of uh, spicy takes about old shits <laughs> you'll hear on this episode. So, so that's fun. Um, first of all, Matthew, I suppose like now the the poll is closed on the uh, the old Xbox versus GameCube draft. We should talk about the winner. You won, I think, like something like fifty nine percent to forty one percent. So um, you must be feeling pretty good about that. I saw you, yeah, you said I mean- justice on Twitter. Yeah, I, I think the, th- the the fear was, well, I don't know if the fear for you or the fear for me, there was an idea that it may be just an absolute GameCube trouncing. I think there was some nervous energy around the episode based on that, that it might be like a 80-20 split or something. And yeah. coming out of it, I thought, wow, you actually made a really good case for Xbox. And I think that's reflected. I thought it might be a bit tighter than that, even. But, you know, I I, I think we do have a lot of nintendo heads listening and they just wouldn't even humor the idea of xbox as i wouldn't uh at the <laughs> beginning of that episode <laughs> yeah i sort of i wasn't actually like i'm not actually that kind of bummed out by the result it's not like the n64 draft where everyone heard me have my big um big child's country um, and uh you know basically like spill my coke all over my bouncy castle and start screaming like that was that was very much me at the start of that podcast talking about those results and um, and then like proceeding to take shots at our own loyal listeners who um, I will say, actually, I think that the fact that people have given such passionate responses to this one shows that people just really enjoy the kind of like thought experiment side of this as much as we do, because yeah. they're tapping into like people are real feel really passionately about some of my choices they thought were too multi format to represent the Xbox. I think that was fair. There was an element of me swinging a bit for like you know a sort of a bit of like wider appeal by putting some gta's in there which are considered more ps2 games and mm-hmm. um i don't regret the matrix path of neo though and i never will um that's uh... <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah but otherwise i thought it was it was good and um i have like in a very petty act matthew i've um i've made both a revised xbox list for this episode and mm-hmm. um a version of the gamecube list as well just because I thought listeners might be curious to hear what I'd pick for um pick if there was no public vote for the Xbox bit and uh, it was all heart picks, I suppose. And then like the GameCube thing, I don't know. I thought you did a good job with the GameCube. And I actually realised just looking at GameCube, this was a really hard console to pick for, to be honest. Um because there is about there's about twenty five good games, really. And yeah. Like, yeah, and uh, you know, and it's easy to push out multi format games. So yeah, I think you did so you made some good choices there. And Thanks. Hitman too. Um <laughs> Oh, um, Hitman Two was loved at one point. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So it's um, I, it's actually two all on the drafts, right? So it's two for because I did I won PS2 Mini and Game Developer Draft, and you've won this one in N64. So it's two all, right? And then um, right. yeah, I think like should we do the Wii next? Should we do the Wii in January or something like that? That might be Ooh, fun. Yeah, I'd be up for that. Yeah, yeah, just ten games each that time. We realised twenty games is fucking loads. So um. We were yeah. both knackered at the end I of like, that podcast. I like the stress of the the genre kind of restrictions add a lot of spice as well. The free picks gave us an awful lot of freedom. Yeah, yeah, but I definitely enjoyed. It was good. I, I actually like. Mm. I really enjoyed it when people were saying to, saying that. Oh, I I did. I thought this would be a route, but the Xbox list actually surprised me. That was my goal. So yeah. So um, Matthew, I asked if you wanted to do a revised GameCube list with more heart picks. Did you have any take on that? No pressure if you uh, you didn't. Yeah, I did. If this was. Pure- Purely heart picks, as in stuff I'd be interested in. Should I just go through my 20 picks? Yeah, do it. Okay, I think I can tell you what I would have dumped along the way as well. 
in adventure RPG, I would have dumped Beyond Beyond Good and Evil, and uh, this is purely because I forgot about it when we were doing the proper thing. I, I actually would have taken Skies of Arcadia Legends because mm-hmm. um, I did have it on GameCube. I did really like it in the episode. It's got you know, it feels like more of a Sega thing, so maybe wouldn't have flown. But I think that's the best sort of uh, JRPG on the GameCube. Um, Shooter, I would have got rid of Time Splitters, would have put Metroid Prime in that, um, just to shift around some spaces. Fighting Sports, I wouldn't have picked Soul Calibur, I would have put Smash Brothers in there straight away. Uh, Platformer, I keep Donkey Kong Jungle Beat. Uh, Launch Game, I I would actually dump Super Monkey Ball for Rogue Squadron 2, and for my licensed game, I would have probably put uh, Lego Star Wars 2 original trilogy oh that's interesting uh, Mon- monkey ball i just think it's so available elsewhere you know but uh, you know i also know people have nostalgia through it so i thought i'd play to those suckers <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, stealth survival horror even though i talked it down a bit in the episode uh i would have put metal gear solid twin snakes in there uh, i thought it feels like it belongs to ps2 but they may it's different enough to be an interesting curio Multiplayer, I just stuck with WarioWare, Racing, Mario Kart Double Dash, Wild Cards, Killer7. So then in my Wild Cards, there's some real hard choices in here. Um, I probably would have actually put uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater 4. That's the one I played. That's the first big Tony Hawk I got into, and, and I just have really fond memories of it. But I don't think it is considered the best of them, but it's the one I played. Mm. Resident Evil 4 still. I actually would have put Resident Evil Remake in just because it feels like a definitive GameCube thing. Uh, I'm putting in Chibi Robo um, so that I can uh, still be friends uh, <laughs> with Ash Day. Yep. Beautiful um, uh, <laughs> Joe, Paper Mario, F-Zero GX. Actually, the rest of them wouldn't have changed. F-Zero GX, Wind Waker, Eternal Darkness, and I would have kept Super Mario Sunshine. Yep, um, some very good choices there. Um, I think, like, uh, yeah. I actually think that probably would have come out about the same with that list. Um I think Skies of Arcadia and Twin Snakes were just good picks because things were so like because they were so they're so elusive. I do normally think about that, but I didn't for this. Yeah, so I probably you know in my heart of hearts that reflects a console I'd play more than the one I actually built. Yeah, that's fine. So shall I go through mine, Matt? Yeah, I want to hear yours. Yeah, yeah. So there's definitely a mix of like things I like, but also things I've always wanted to play that are kind of unavailable. So right. for the GameCube, I've done like uh, Skies of Arcadia Legends for Adventure RPG. My mm-hmm. shooter is Ikaruga. Um, my okay. fighting or sports game is Super Smash Bros. Melee. My platformer is Super Mario Sunshine. That has to be on the system no matter what. Um, mm-hmm. People can't deny it, I don't think, even if they think it makes the console cursed. <laughs> um, my licensed game is Rogue Leader. My launch game is Luigi's Mansion. Now, I know that's on 3DS, but I think that Luigi's Mansion looks tons better on GameCube. I think yeah, like point. It, yeah, yeah, big big visual downgrade for that, um, that's, that uh, 3DS version, even though it's still very good. Stealth or Survival Horror. Metal Gear, Solid, The Twin Snakes. Really expensive to pick that one up. And even though I don't think it's that good, actually. Um, it's not as good as you think it is in your mind's eye, I would say, that game. Yeah. Um, if you had it in your hands, you'd realise that the PS1 one is the one you actually want to be playing, um, I would say. Mm. Mario Kart Double Dash for multiplayer. Uh, F-Zero GX for racing. And um, I did pick Baton Kytos for wildcard. Because I, I thought you would have picked that just because it's um, Monolith, right? And they're like, um, you're a big Monolith guy. I just don't have much relationship with it and... I know Catherine's a big fan, so I, I should have maybe have picked it as a 
as a nod to her. But oh, you know. Uh, so my three picks are like uh, Killer Seven for number one, mm-hmm. uh, Paper Mario Thousand Year Door for number two. Um, <laughs> I've uh, I've also gone for the Twilight Princess because I think that's um, a good shout for GameCube. The, the way it was meant to be played without the entire world being flipped. Um, I put Fire Emblem Path of Radiance in there because I think that would be a big curiosity. Like people want to mm. play that and uh, they can't. Did you say it's not very good off off air to me? It's absolutely fine, but like. They really knocked it out of the park on 3DS. I feel like it, it's a big step down from that. Okay, fair enough. Uh, then it goes Beautiful Joe, Eternal Darkness, Resi 4, Wind Waker, Chibi Robo, Metro Prime. So, um, you know, pretty similar. But um, yeah, yeah. yeah, but uh, that was a fun thought exercise, Matthew. I thought people mm. might just be curious. Um, it makes me think maybe I will just go with, like, all heart picks in future lists and less, like trying to appeal to people um but uh, it's interesting because yeah. we we um the, the, the film podcast that we maybe were inspired by shall we say <laughs> uh, for the drafts when yeah. they do their film drafts uh, there's three of them who do it and uh sometimes someone will go heavy heart picks and i always think it's a big mistake because if someone's going mainstream heart can just seem very undercooked next to it if two people are doing heart picks it's fine but if you're the only one, it yeah, can look a little. It can just look a little weak on paper. It's fine in the episode, but when you just see the names there in, in like the you know the harsh light of day, it's like, mm, yeah, not. yeah, I see what you mean for sure. Um, so I've got this Xbox list, Matthew, that I've revised yeah, here. Uh, Adventure RPG, I've got Shenmue 2. I played that on Xbox and, um, you know, I absolutely love that game. And uh, I'd throw it back in there just because... I didn't realise, actually, that Shenmue 2 never released on Dreamcast in North America, just on Xbox. So that would be oh, actually right. significant to people. I only learned that in this past week. Um, uh, shooter, Panzer Dragoon Auto still, because I love that game. Uh, mm-hmm. Fighting or Sports, I thought I'd throw Dead or Alive 3 in there because um, I was a bit unsure what our listeners would make of that. But I think that is like a pure... It was like an Xbox launch game, very significant. Uh, Psychonauts I had for platformer instead of Prince of Persia, a bit yeah. more kind of like Xbox associated, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, licensed game, I, I moved the Matrix Path of Neo up and uh, booted out the Simpsons Hit and Run, um, <laughs> <laughs> which I felt like was actually like went in my favour a little bit in the draft. Um, people wanted to play that, I think. But um, yeah. uh, launch game is still Halo Combat Evolved, of course. Uh, Stealth or Horror is Splinter Cell Chaos Theory. Uh, side note: there is a version of Silent Hill Two on Xbox. I almost had for this, but I um. That's oh, clearly, really? clearly a PS2 game, isn't it? Yeah. Um, multiplayer, I had Halo 2, of course. Uh, racing, I kept Burnout 3 Takedown because Burnout was very good. Wildcard is still Steel Battalion, of course. Um, <laughs> that was like probably the best thing I had in my draft, so I have to stay. <laughs> uh, free pick one stays the same, Ninja Gaiden Black. Um, I've moved Jet Set Radio Future down to number two. Uh, Riddick, Escape from uh, Butcher Bay is number three. Uh, Morrowind's still in there. Um, I've uh, free pick number five. I put Jade Empire in there. I wanted to lean more into the RPG stuff, and Bioware mm-hmm. was a major asset on Xbox. Then it goes Kotor, Kotor Two. I've thrown in um, Namco's first person oddity uh, breakdown, which you can play on Xbox One. It's definitely like a worthwhile pick it up with its four quid kind of game. Mm-hmm. Um, and by popular demand, I have put Outrun Two in there. That was the one people complained I didn't really get racing games, which is true. I'm not really a racing game guy, um, but I did. I, I actually haven't played Outrun Two, but I played fucking tons of Outrun uh, 2006 Coast to Coast on my PSP. That game ruled. So. Um, Happy to have Outrun 2 in there and just silence some of my critics. And then finally, Crimson Skies, of course. So uh, some mild edits there, Matthew, but I think that's yeah, maybe a I, bit a bit more Xbox. I don't know. I think so. Yeah, I I, I uh, actually just bought a Xbox copy of KOTOR 2 to play backwards compat because um, I haven't played it. 
Oh, nice. So what, you got bought it digitally on um, on Xbox? No, I bought, I bought it pre-owned from CEX. Oh, that was a fun, pointless thought exercise, Matthew. But like, um, the drafts remained a lot of fun. So um, I look forward to doing the Wii draft in January. They're good. I think you. I think it was the right call not not to do a slightly half-assed Christmas draft. We don't want to undermine the draft brand. <laughs> I imagine as well, people might get exhausted if we do too many of them. So, like, in my head, it's like one every two months is probably the right way to do it. Yeah. And so it's something you look forward to, a bit like the uh, best games of X year episodes. Yeah, I also don't want the risk of it, of, you know, if... If it were to have turned sour, I wouldn't want it to have, have tainted Christmas, which is a precious time to me. So uh, I'm glad we've we've avoided any risk of that. I, it's funny because um, I think our listeners were like, oh, that, that did get a bit tense, didn't it? But then also when I said that we might dial it down on Twitter today, people were like, no, don't dial it down. This is like the best bit of the draft. And I'm like, oh, God. Oh, man. Honestly, they should have seen the stuff that got cut. Oh, yeah, yeah, boy. That's like the... Um, cancel Samuel Roberts cut of the um, backpage oh, well, job. <laughs> the thing is, oh, it's, uh, <laughs> so much of it was just you getting cross and me cackling at you, making <laughs> you more cross. <laughs> that's like, uh, that's, yeah, that was very much the vibe. Um, like I said on that last um, episode, I was incredibly tense because I was about to start a new job, and that manifested in me being a big baby while picking some Xbox games because I'm a preposterous man child, so um, that's good. Um, so, <laughs> onward with this this episode, then, Matthew. Congratulations on your victory. Thank um, you. Very happy for you. So, yes, in this episode, we're just going to fire through a bunch of games we've been playing this year that are from other years. It's a real grab bag of stuff here. Um, Matthew, I wonder if you should start with one of yours. I feel like I've been talking a lot, and um, I'd like to hear from you, you, my buddy. Um, so, why don't you kick <laughs> off with your first one? So, I'm going to kick off with uh, 428 or 428, I don't know how you're actually meant to pronounce it, uh, Shibuya Scramble, which is a visual novel uh, originally made for the Wii. Uh, it was a, I don't think it was a launch game, but it, it, it was a Japan-only title. Uh, it made a minor ripple when it first came out, because it got 40 in Famitsu. And I remember us looking you know looking at import stuff and we didn't do an import review of this because it was just all text-based and basically impossible to impossible to play and we were like wow what could possibly you know what is so special about this thing that it got 40 in Famitsu and then kind of completely forgot about it fast forward to 2018 I think it got uh, bought out in the west on PS4 and PC uh, a port of this so finally got to play it um this year uh, on the recommendation of lots of good people on twitter who have recommended this oscar uh, editor of play magazine uh, had talked it up to me at one point uh, and and lots of other people so do you know anything about this game Yes, I, I do. It's like a live action footage and then like it's interactive, the kind of order of it changes. I think I heard about this because uh, Bob Mackey on Retronauts recommended it. He said it was pretty cool and um, a bit under the radar. It's it's not really live action. It's 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 like photography of like act, live actors, but it's not video footage. Oh, okay. It's sort of still. So it's very like, imagine a visual novel with like anime stills, except instead of anime, it's like photos, uh, which it, that's a huge part of its appeal. It's got, uh, it's really got the energy of, um, 
you know you get those like photo diaries in like tabloid like the the <laughs> the sexy ones in like the, the sexy sun. ones where it's like my <laughs> husband's having an affair and it's like some actor like some really overacting and then they've just stuck on some sort of speech bubbles it's kind of got that energy <laughs> right okay but uh, less less sexy i'm assuming less sexy in play, yeah, no, it isn't too sexy. <laughs> oh no, um, this is turning into a horny podcast. That's the, the one thing we said wouldn't happen. It kind of plays with it in places where it feels like it may get a bit tropey, and then it kind of dulls it back. And it's got this sort of um, interesting gimmick in that you're reading screen after screen of like prose text, basically, and some of the words are highlighted, and then you can click on them, and it kind of gives you an explanation of you know like a key fact or like the definition of that word or if there's a concept it feels it needs to explain but sometimes it uses that device to kind of almost sort of say like oh i bet you thought this was going to be saucy it's not you know it's not that kind of game and all this kind of stuff so there's like this weird kind of meta commentary delivered by this sort of dictionary function which i which i like it's built around uh, uh five people who are all involved or have some relationship to a kidnapping case that is unfolding across one day uh, in central Tokyo. And uh, in each, you sort of jump between the five characters at will. But the idea is that the actions or decisions you make in one branch of the story will impact the other branches of the story. And your aim, as far as these things have a name, is to just progress through the day by making sure everyone is can get through their storyline. So it's it's not really a case of make decisions to get completely different endings. You're trying to find the right decisions so that everyone is still alive or everyone is still continuing through. And so, you know, if someone gets, like, beaten to death by some punks in their timeline... If another character meets those punks earlier in their timeline, you might go back and make a choice where you delay them somehow so they never meet the other character. Things like that. Okay. Um, it, like, it's, it's like, like Tenet, Matthew. <laughs> it's sort of... It, no, it's, it's not. It's probably overselling it to call it like a puzzle because, you know, you can just flip through the timeline at will and it's like option A or option B. If it wasn't option A, just try option B. Um but the, the the thing, though, there's lots of stuff I love about this. But one of them is that the bad endings are genuinely like outstanding, because it's not just like, oh, you got hit by a car and you couldn't carry on. Like often the characters kind of give up entirely, and then it will cut like six years later and see what they're doing. And <laughs> it's like one of them, like a policeman. It's like he gave up being a policeman and became this farmer. And then there's all these pictures of him like sort of gurning at these giant carrots and stuff and it's it's just it's really funny like that that's what's great about this game it just every opportunity for silliness uh it takes it's sort of um like the, uh, i was gonna say the best example but also one of the only examples i can think of a video game farce in that the story is 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 quite low risk even though it involves a kidnapping and it's just these preposterous characters who are like ping-ponging crisscrossing causing all these like misunderstandings and upsets and it's just really funny how they do like meet up and how these things which are completely unrelated somehow kind of smash together um there's one of the characters which i is probably my favorite uh 
favourite of the sort of storylines is uh, he's a freelance journalist and he the company he works for uh, the the guy the guy basically the guy is is run this magazine into like huge debt and had to let go of his entire workforce and he's got an issue that he's got to get sent to the printers by 8 p.m and so he hires this freelance writer to basically make the entire mag so he's got one afternoon to find like 12 stories and that's his storyline so he's running about just trying to desperately like generate headlines from like everything else that happens in the story and it's just so well observed in terms of like headline craft the way he sees all this shit and then he starts like reeling off oh it could be this or it could be this or or <laughs> he's he's got uh one of the things he's to deal with is I, I think they've like already sent the cover of the mag <laughs> and one of the cover lines is just something like um like hot shibuya gossip or something and he just has to find a story that's like relevant to that headline and i just really like the idea of this sort of demented magazine craft being part of the story it just really made me laugh that's good yeah bit too close to home maybe but uh yeah, yeah. it's funny I, I like the idea like i'll i'll lay off all the entire staff and then we'll write the entire magazine on the last day when it goes to goes to print that's like i had a couple of issues of play like that when i was um, imagined so uh you know big mood as they say um, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to buy this, Matthew, and um, this is this will be of comfort to the listeners. It's like on sale until late December, like December 23rd. So you know, if you're listening to this on the week that the episode goes live, and you fancy giving it a go, it's like five quid, I think, something like that. Oh god, um, it's so good! It's so good! It's absolutely brilliant. Like this will, um, you know, when we get to the 2018 list of games, this is definitely in it now. Like it's just superb. Nice pushing out games like uh, Assassin's Creed. Actually, you can't remember what came out that year. It's 2018. It's like a complete blur to me now. Um, yeah, can't even continue down that that path of conversation. So, good recommendation, Matthew. I'll, I'll pick that up. Um, mm. I suppose, like, so it so it's fast. Does the kind of like the crime element kind of come to any great head, or is that just kind of like a, a thing to kind of riff all the kind of no, comedy it, it, plot it, it lines off? You don't want to go into like spoilers for it. Like, it, right, right. it really escalates. It's it's more that. You know, it starts off by showing you, a, you know, to, one of the characters is a hoodlum and another one is a policeman involved in this sort of kidnapping operation. And you think, oh, OK, this is going to be quite a straight crime thriller. Um, but then the next character introduces is a lady who's she's become trapped in like a mascot costume. So she's <laughs> stuck in this giant cat head and she's been like pulled into try and sell this like dodgy diet supplement called burning hammer right and it's but everything she does she also has to contend with having this huge cat head and it, it it's just that's what it so like it's preposterous but there is like serious stuff going on but it's also like these five idiots crisscrossing there are elements to it of some of the storytelling where it's it's almost like a little bit Kirby enthusiasm right right where it introduces like quirks or things you know it introduces a fact like so and so doesn't like this or like i have to be at this place and then when it all comes together you're like oh of course it's got the it's got the sort of snap of a great curb storyline of kind of like oh man who you know what's the one thing you don't want in this this situation is like this woman with a giant cat head turning up and then <laughs> lo and behold um yeah and the actors are just it's very endearing because they're all photographs like 
A, the, the gurning of the actors is funny, but also just seeing, like, the locations, because they've just taken it around, like, famous Tokyo, you know, tourist spots or whatever. Mm. And it just feels like a... It shares some DNA with, like, a persona in that way, because it just feels, like, super authentic. Or a Yakuza game. You know, it's like, oh, I can see the bar, I can read all the whiskey bottles, because they've just taken this picture in a bar. And it has that slightly sort of uh japanophile sort of tourist element as well yeah i imagine that's uh catnip to uh you and Catherine. so um, yeah. yeah perfect stuff i can hear the delight in your voice that's probably oh sick. it's 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 so good must, uh, must be really fucking hard to translate as well like um to make the kind of jokes work and stuff you know yeah it's a, it's a really great translation considering that there's no voice work in it you're just reading it like the voices are really clear and the jokes really land um yeah like great job whoever did it Oh yeah, uh, good choice, Matthew. I'm about to pick. It's all downhill there. from here for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, you got some good stuff in your list. Um, I, I've admittedly a one game I've never even heard of, but um, that's good. Uh, we'll uh, we'll get to that. So my first game is Deus Ex, Matthew. So right. very much prompted by our episode with the uh, the great Jeremy Peel um, on this uh, podcast, where he, we talked about immersive sims. I thought I should finally sit down and play Deus Ex. It's like. Um, I would say rare that I play a game that's this old, like a, uh, that I haven't played before in in you know mm. in 2021. Like um, I don't normally go back this far. I would say I normally go back you know slightly slightly sooner than this. But um, I thought I should really just play this. I played all the other Deus Ex games. I you know I I, I want my immersive sim creds, and so um, I uh, decided to finally play through this. Have you you played through Deus Ex before, Matthew? I have. Yeah, I mean, a long time ago. I'm uh, I've played like the first half of it more recently so i'm better on that but yeah i must admit from some of your tweets i was like eh i don't remember that <laughs> <laughs> yeah i tweeted so, about it a lot it was kind of like you know why don't you just fucking twitch stream it if you're gonna just do all these tweets kind of thing but it's um, good uh, you know it's that like instant rush of nostalgia everyone has where they're just like oh yeah you know you see a screen and it takes you back better times it's actually like a quite a nice um series of interactions i had around this game for sure like people were just like oh have you done this bit yet and it was kind of like um that was really cool so yeah it was uh it was quite the thing i think that like what i understand now about games nostalgia is if you weren't there when the hardware was like this primitive relatively speaking if you don't have experience of games like this like games that are similar to the type of game you want to play then you probably won't be able to get into it because it will feel just too old to you and too kind of like uh sort of arcane and strange and like um Mm. i say this as someone who has struggled with games from like the really early 90s some stuff where i'm like i wasn't playing games at this time so my brain just doesn't get around it like the original um xcom uh ufo unknown like that was like that was a game I tried playing on GOG and I just could not, I could not do it. And like, um, Deus Ex is fine though, because I played a load of uh, first person shooters from around that time. So, uh, this is really good. But like, um, yes, I was, I was dazzled by it. I think it's the sheer amount of stuff packed into it. Like Jeremy was saying, like they, they kind of just, they pick a few elements for the later Deus Ex games and run with those. But this has kind of like wild conspiracy stuff in it and like, um you know bits of like different different types of conspiracy thrown in and like just it's a real kind of it's real kind of like rich in that respect but um i was really just like it was the kind of moment to moment character interaction stuff i i really liked even basic things like um 
you know, you're asked to go and like uh, kill a drug dealer and take some take something from them and bring it back as proof that you killed them to some guy. And like, if you uh, knock the guy out, a JC Denton will have dialogue saying, "Well, I actually already took him out, but he's not dead." And like, the guy might go, "What? I told you to kill him." It's like, well you got your thing back so what do you care kind of thing and like mm. it, it is amazing seeing a game be that reactive that's this old and you realize that that is why deus ex is held in such high esteem all these years later is that no game including the its own series um tried to do sort of decision making on this scale and mm. no game now ever will and so it's so kind of all-encompassing in that respect the um sequence that jeremy alluded to when he came on the podcast this is spoilers for deus ex but uh, there is a bit where you go into a hotel with uh, paul your brother in the game and he tells you to leave and there's a window you can go out and leave and then all these police kind of come in and basically shoot paul and kill paul and then pulls out the story um i assume that jeremy like did that went off and then paul was out of the story but what you can do is you can stay in the apartment with paul help guard him against the guards coming through and he'll be injured but he'll remain in the story throughout so um mm. that's an example of the type of stuff that um, you know the ways in which the game can kind of reflect your choices but there are loads of different things like this there are things like bosses you can kill with like uh, kill switches that you type in um mm. i missed out on those but i'm really gutted that i did because um in retrospect it was really easy to find one of them and i wish i'd had both because that would have been a cool way to end them they're not just written on a post-it note <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, let's not be so casual with the kill switches, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Um there's some really good like good level types in this. It's like a level to a level where you have to um go and rescue a hostage from like a gas station on this really little map. That's really cool. I love the there's like a big army base you go into where essentially like there is walking tanks around and you have to unleash your own uh, AI walking tanks and watch them fight each other in order to like um complete the level and that's it's just really cool anything where like you unleash an ai to help you you've got an ai program to help you is just really cool um <laughs> but it's the scale of a game a scale of the game that's this old and the atmosphere of it is so so consistent and like impressive all these years later yeah i had how a phenomenal you, time playing it uh, how did you find the actual sort of nuts and bolts playing the shooting etc it, it's honestly okay i definitely built i, I shaped my build around the limitations of the game i would say so right i basically and the limitations of myself as a player so um i like really leveled up the kind of like um, basically like bulletproof armoring power you can give yourself and so you take very little damage in combat i'd slap that baby on and i'd run in with the dragon sword thing you get part way into the game just slash a load of dudes up and that was basically my strategy for the entire game um <laughs> which is like you know not particularly stealthy or whatever but um that was uh, that was my way, I suppose, of dealing with the fact that, like, the shooting, of course, it requires you to stand still and kind of, like, um, wait for the reticule to kind of, like, zoom in. And mm. you can ease that by getting, like, different aiming mods for your guns. I had a pistol that was, like, basically was, like had the range of a sniper rifle by the end of the game because I put so many mods on it. That was really cool. So I, I, you know, it's it's like not the best in that respect, but I wouldn't expect it to be. Yeah, like I say, I compensated it for an, for it enough with the choices I made with my character to kind of get around that. I was to say it's kind of interesting that like the later games are kind of obsessed with or a bit more interested in you being cool and kind of looking cool because on paper a lot of the stuff you can get in Deus Ex is cool you're like oh wow all these kind of you know ways i can improve myself you know this is this is really interesting but it feels like you're almost working towards workable rather than like oh and that would never happen now 
Like you would never like now the character like every game's character feels great out the box. Like that's I don't you know it feels like that's now a necessity. Whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. But what's wrong? You know, it's it's sort of sad that that's the case. But yeah, that's why I wondered about yeah when you were saying you were going back to it. I was interested if if just if coming from the age of lovely playable games, it would be a bit jarring. I think the th- the thing that really helps is that it makes the upgrades meaningful. Like, um, mm. you really feel it when, like, um, you upgrade a particular augment, you know, so you can sort of, like, um, you know, you can uh, basically, like, heal while draining very little of your energy to do it. And, like, um, you can become this self-perpetuating, like, healing bullet arm, uh, you know, kind of, like, bullet-absorbing mm. ability kind of melee guy. And, like, um, you know, each... At first, you feel like a total fucking dud in that game. Like, so shit. Um, I would say that, like, that... That's the interesting thing about that Liberty Island sequence. In fact, like the, I would say the first two or three hours of the game, where you don't really have any powers leveled up, you just feel like you're really fucking like just about getting by by the skin of your teeth, and then mm. you slowly begin your ascent to being like a kind of Superman. And um, you know, it means that later in the game, when like um, there's a boss fight with Gunther, uh, one of the other agents who kind of comes after you, and like that was such a piece of piss when I did it, just because I slapped on my like you know health recharge and just headshotted him with my super rad pistol like three or four times he was dead and like um you really kind of feel the difference and i think yeah you're right like um you know it's very rare to start a game now where you feel like uh, you you are lacking um in power and this game definitely does that and puts you on that exciting journey it also rewards like going down a particular path as well if you spread out all of your powers and all of your points you don't feel that well equipped to do any one thing that well in Deus Ex, but like mm. if you really commit to like getting to the final upgrade point for like all your different powers and all of your relevant skills, um, it really pays off. So it's really good, Matthew. I mean, it's not a fucking radical take to say Deus Ex is really good, but it's nice <laughs> to play a game that's twenty one years old and still be amazed by it. Um, yeah, that's where I'm at. It was uh, it was good, buddy. I enjoyed. Yeah, it. I, I I need to replay this because the one thing I know for sure is that when I originally played it, I don't think I was not old enough or sophisticated enough, one of the two, to like appreciate some of the writing in it. You know. I sort of played it more as a game and ignored some of the world-building elements, which are, you know, obviously so rich and celebrated that I would probably, you know, playing it again now, take my time a bit more, savour it. Yeah, there was like a conversation with an AI that Andy Kelly had told me, hey, when you get to this bit in Paris, make sure you look for this secret conversation. He didn't say what it was. And you go by behind like a door and it's there. Yeah, it's a conversation with this AI and it's really, really fucking great writing. And um, I can't say I read every piece of material in the game, but like, uh, yeah, just um, just fantastic. And like, I um, actually really love the different cities as well. Like their version of Hong Kong is really uh, quite probably the bit that people remember and enjoyed the most. And certainly there were parts that I really enjoyed. Um, I thought the bits of Paris you go to are great too. Uh, that's an, a, an area that seems completely insurmountable until you work out how you can do it and clear it out quite easily. Um and like you get to break into a lot of shops, which I enjoy as well. So uh, yeah, <laughs> shops and houses, breaking into those always good. So um, yes, <laughs> that was my adventure with Deus Ex, Matthew. Maybe I'll play another kind of like uh, noughties or 90s PC classic next year and um, talk about mm, that with Bod. Maybe um, a bit of Thief too. Yeah, perhaps that. Or like uh, maybe it's time to do a bit of uh, research for a future uh, CRPG episode or something. I don't know. Mm. Uh, I'm really excited to hear about your next one, Matthew. It's like um, a game that I've only heard you talk about briefly in person. So let's go. Yeah, so this is 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim. 
Um, I've got to put my hand up and say I actually haven't finished this yet because I've I've slightly stalled on it, and anyone who's played this will know that uh, stalling on it is sort of death because it's so complicated. This is uh, oh, I've completely forgotten the developers. A vanillaware. Vanillaware. That's what I was going to say. Vanilla soft, but then I was thinking of soft vanilla ice cream. Uh, <laughs> they- <laughs> Classic Matthew Castle there. It's been a long weekend. Um, (laughs) This is uh, kind of a combination of, I don't know if you could call it a visual novel, if it's more of a sort of adventure game and sort of tower defence game where in the future there is a war going on um, between humanity and invading forces and there are these sort of uh, uh, giant robots protecting the city. And you sort of do these sort of tower defense sections, which, uh, in truth, aren't aren't very good. Like they're 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 very simple. They're not they're not difficult. So they're inoffensive, but they're they are also a little bit sort of sort of begrudgingly done, I think. But the the meat of the game and what's great about the game is is the story of all the pilots who are on the battlefield, and you sort of jump through history and meet them at different points. And this is why I've stalled on it, because there's so much uh, crisscrossing of timelines and cleverness set up that I have just completely forgotten who everyone is and what was going on, because there's like 13 playable characters, um, and you're jumping between them on, you know, in each chapter. That's a, that's a lot to keep on top of, you know, especially when some of the characters know each other, and you can't really remember like who was doing what. I think why this game resonated a lot with people is that it feels like it's drawing from just mountains of pop culture it feels like like a lifetime's worth of being nerdy Mm. has just been forced into a script so like different storylines represent all kinds of different films there are like echoes or ideas and i'm not saying it's like deliberately playing on any particular film but there's uh, at least at the point where I'm at. But it just feels like it's drawing on like heaps of stuff that if you are into games and nerd culture, you will probably be also be into these things. And so I just think it like really resonates because of that. Like it just has this warmth of this has come from someone who's like on my like frequency, which, you know, if you read some of the reviews for this, like it, it felt like lots of people loved it and were sort of wrestling with it. And I, you know, likewise, I feel it kind of it's kind of a difficult one to talk about. It, I think it's a difficult one to write about as well. And not knocking the reviews, but there is a lot of sort of you know a lot of people who are just basically saying, "I think you should just play it because you know if you play it, you'll kind of know what I'm talking about," um, which is horribly vague. But that is that is kind of the vibe. <laughs> yeah. So it's um, I'm sure it is a tough one to talk about because I played a little bit of it. And, like, it did seem to be, first of all, I think, like, the lead female character, her clothes are off while she's in the robot. And I was like, ah. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's I mean, that's sort of a vanilla a vanillaware thing, right? They're quite, yeah, the games are a little bit traditionally, you know, kind of, uh, this is kind of, they're well known for this kind of character design and, like, you know, certain tendencies in the games. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. You know. there is a lot of that. There's a lot of, like bouncy bits on the characters it's it's a little and and like they're all kind of teenagers so it is a little bit sort of salacious but there's also i don't know it's got like a lot of heart and the characters are quite nuanced uh they've all got like a lot of sort of shit in their lives and because of the structure of the story you learn about them in quite you know 
quite an interesting pace. Like a lot of the characters, they can kind of flip them on their heads a bit by telling you something if you learn a particular piece of information. It's got this sort of strange um, sort of encyclopedia unlock system where as you go through the game, you're uh, amassing this sort of currency which you use to sort of buy more backstory or like mm. almost like what I was saying in um, in uh, the Shibuya Scramble, the um, the kind of dictionary definitions. There's almost this like layer of information on top, and as you're unlocking that, that's also putting some stuff into context or kind of flipping some bits of the story. It's 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 super dense. The thing it reminds me the most of, and this is a slightly obscure, is um, uh, there's the manga Twenty uh, First Century Boys, okay, which is uh, about a load of people on the kind of eve of the millennium who sort of uh, there's a rise of this cult and they realize that the cult is kind of based on a sort of an like an imaginary sort of childhood gang they kind of made when they were kids and they're just trying to work out like what the relationship is between their poorly remembered childhood and what's going on in the present day and it's almost like if you could just remember who did what in the past you could probably solve all the problems of today and there's there's almost a, a sort of element of that to this in terms of it's got all these time frames and it's all about you know people repeating mistakes and you know certain like patterns playing out in different ways it's yeah like very dense very like intricately plotted um gorgeously made um just slightly lumbered with these defense sections which kind of i don't know they just they're so they're not jar this jarring's the wrong word but they they just they're, they're so out of keeping with the pace of the rest of the thing that you're a little bit like oh god this i better do this then which it's is like a shame. A, it's like a visual novel that has like a mechanic bolted onto it basically is that kind of it yeah that's yeah yeah that's right but like it's very yeah like just you know you walk around the environments it's got this really gorgeous 2d style you know the environments are quite fully realized and you can talk to people so that's why it's not quite like a visual novel you know it's a bit more sort of engaging it's quite hard to sort of liken it to anything in particular really you know it's almost got the it's almost got the shape of a point and click adventure in that you're picking up things and you kind of learn information and then you can use that information to spark off conversations so Instead of an inventory, you've kind of almost got like a conversation inventory. Yeah, I, I was sort of like landing on it in the bit I played, and it wasn't much. A, a tiny bit Persona, a little bit, obviously, like quite a lot Evangelion. A little bit, even like a little bit, uh, what's it called? Into the Breach, just in terms of there being like this like story, people's different stories kind of playing out, and then kind of crisscrossing i it's yeah it does seem like a hard one to pin down for sure yeah but i think that it's very deliberately trying to create this sort of soup of like ideas and inspirations and it's more about sort of being part of that you know enjoying that soup and (laughs) yeah it's uh, it's quite devastating i hear the story can be quite quite brutal um, yeah, I mean, uh, like I say, I've, I've, you know, I don't know how much more of it I've got to go. I, I imagine quite a bit, but um, yeah, it, uh, yeah, you know, there's, there's, yeah, there's definitely some, some pretty big stuff in there so far. I think it's like interesting to see a, 
you know, there's a lot of games which I think people like emotionally resonate with and they're trying to get you on an emotional level, like, oh, you feel this kind of loss or you feel this kind of, you know, you know, jealousy, envy, whatever. You've experienced these things. And I feel like the frame of reference here is like almost less emotional, more cultural. It's like really it's 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 super weird how it's trying to sort of go like you know, all this warmth of nostalgia because it's a bit like ET, and it's so you sort of feel that it's that's what it's it's just drawing from a slightly different pool of ideas than most sort of stories do. Okay, interesting. It's like I can tell it's a hard one to like really boil down, um, but yeah. I, I would recommend that people go and look at some screenshots of it because the visual style. I mean, a lot of people listening to this podcast will know what it is anyway. I think just because it was like. Uh, so widely heralded last year when it was was it last year it was released yeah yeah and so there was like a, a i think it was a polygon piece about how it's the best game you didn't play this year or something like that and so um people have gone to bat for this before but like um a friend of the show jay bayless absolutely swears by this game and says it's like the best thing he played last year um so i trust his point of view on this stuff he's never steered me wrong pokemon aside i'm just joking there. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, so, um, yeah, I've got this on PS4 as well, Matthew. Like, not sure when I'll get to it, but, like... Um, coming to Switch next year. Yep, they just announced that very recently, didn't they? So uh, that was, that's surely perfect for that format as well. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Um, I think there was some performance issues on PS4 with the Tower Defense stuff. Hmm. Okay. So I worry that it may, like, be kind of heinous on Switch, but I guess we'll wait and see. Hopefully not, because it feels like a better fit for it. Like, I, I'm almost tempted to not... It, to carry on playing it on switch because mm. it just feels like it's not a game i can sit in front of my tv and play for hours i think that's the pro- that's my one like criticism of it and general visual novel stuff as i don't tend to play them on a big tv if i can avoid it yeah, yeah. i wish for i wish 428 was on um switch it's mad that it's not but it's not very long though right 428 isn't it res- really relatively short or no, it's, it's, it's quite long it's like uh, like 20 hours or something shit all all you do is get me to like buy fucking long ass visual novels and then I just stack them up in a big pile and then like yeah. um, save them for retirement. I don't know. It, but, yeah, uh, well that's the th- but this that's this is the one I would say like definitely play it. I would I would play um, four to eight over like Great Ace Attorney for example. Wow. Okay, that is a massive recommendation from you. So. Um, yeah, yeah, big uh, uh, big boy shoes. Don't know what I mean by that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, <laughs> let's move on. Um, so, yeah, my next one, Matthew, is uh, straight from the um, pits of the of Naughty's Hell, Dante's Inferno. So um, this is an EA game made by Visceral. Uh, it came after Dead Space and Mirror's Edge, right when like EA was doing some interesting original stuff in the late noughties. This was 2010, I think this came out. And... Um, it's basically their version of God of War based on this, you know, epic poem and like set in these different sort of like uh, levels of hell, essentially. And um, it reminds me like of just how firmly an identity those God of War games had. They were so like, it was like a specific type of game. It played a certain way. The puzzles and the combat were in conversation in a very specific way. And, like, the boss battles were of a very specific type, the QTEs. Even, like, the level of gore and, like, the unnecessary boobs. Like, all of that stuff was, like, so... The God of War games on PS2, like, 
were so their own thing. They were so distinctive. I would, you know, relative. They, they weren't any, like anything else really. And so when a game kind of rips it off, you can really see just how much they borrow to to bring that to life. And this mm. is an example of that. It's like a slightly over designed uh, alternative to God of War, but it has its like merits for sure. Like it feels like they spent a boatload of cash bringing these different kind of like you know bits of hell to life and so there's a lot of different kind of environmental art enemy types and such you have some cool powers to 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 kind of do all this stuff has some real like weird quirks in it like um a kind of very much product of its time quirks so it's got this system where you can absolve or punish people from like uh like mythological figures essentially and like and the idea is that you're meant to read their story and then be like, oh, this was a king who sold his people out or whatever. And then you decide whether to punish them, which means basically putting your big scythe through their chest while they scream. Yeah, classic. And, <laughs> yeah. Or absolving them and, I don't know, sending them out of hell or something. So some people are there who didn't really deserve it and stuff. And, like, whichever one you pick levels up a different progression bar. And once for your ranged attack and once for your, like, melee attack. And that's really oh. strange system. And... um the odd thing about about it, aside from that, is that like it is quite horny in some strange ways. It's like gratuitous. It's sort of like oh, the year is twenty ten, and we can finally put boobs in computer games. And like, there's a lot of gratuitous nudity. There's like a bit where you watch your wife being killed, and she's just topless for no reason, and it's just like <laughs> uh, and- just like in the original Divine Comedy. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember that bit. Maybe What's it's Italian a- for norks? <laughs> That's the most like is that that's like an end game a caption just uh, on this podcast. <laughs> oh dear. So I've played five hours of this, Matthew. I think I must be getting near the end because I'm on like I don't know layer like four or five out of seven. So they presumably are only like seven levels. So yeah, yeah, real oddball mix, some really fucking annoying puzzles in it. But like a, a, a genuine curio and one I really wanted to play at the time but never got around to. Why am I playing it now? This is the problem when you have got Game Pass, right? You just dip in, install is it something. On Game Pass. Yeah, it's not. Well, it's, if you got EA, if you got the Ultimate Game Pass, yeah, has, yeah, yeah, it's because you get the EA Play stuff as well. So um, the EA Play catalog is well worth a look if you're uh, you like the areas mm. that we talk about in this podcast. And uh, I gave the game Black a go actually, and the uh, on the same note, I didn't think that was very good, but um, you know, people seem to enjoy it. So, uh, but did you ever play this one, Matthew? <laughs> uh, I didn't. Uh, I think I played a demo of it. I think they released the demo of it. Um, no, I, I'd be kind of intrigued to. I mean, I've I've not like studied the Divine Comedy, but I know a little bit about it, and was always curious to see how much it actually took because it's you know a super dense and very very weird and of its time story. And I didn't know if you know because lots of the lots of the kind of sinners or whatever in the Divine Comedy are kind of political figures from the day who I don't think would resonate if you're like. You know, hey everyone, it's th- it's like that evil mayor from you know down the road or whatever, and you're like, who? You know, I don't know if they filled it with just like history's greatest bastards to try and make it a bit spicier. Oh, it's not like you know, here's Hitler, absolve or punish. It's like, uh... <laughs> isn't isn't there a big lady boss with like cherub babies? Uh, I haven't got to that yet, but um, I'm I'm that's... willing to believe that's the case. Yeah, there's, um... I've heard there's quite an infamous. Speaking of the nudity, quite an infamous boss fight with some kind of like horrible uh, sort of demon babies crawling all over her torso, which sounded nightmarish at the time. But 
They've put um, some. They put some real fucking effort into those boss battles. I will tell you that. Like they're like <laughs> they are like elaborate. They've looked at God of War and been like, right, we have to fucking dial it up even further. You're not a quite good Cerberus boss fight in this. You kind of uh, cut one head off at a time, and that's quite um, poor. You know, R.I.P. Uh, Cerberus. But um, <laughs> the other funny <laughs> Cerberus thing... is basically asking for it with those with that many heads. Isn't <laughs> ex- he? Yeah, he's, he is... he's like. That that guy was like born to be taken apart slowly in a three phase boss fight. <laughs> Even in Kingdom Hearts, you have to batter his three different heads till they go down. Um, <laughs> Poor Cerberus. Cerberus never learns to use all three heads at once. <laughs> it's true. They kind of take it in turns, and it's no good, really. Um, the, the kind of long rambling point I was making about the two progression systems, by the way, is that if you absolve someone of their sins, it begins a Guitar Hero style mini game where you have to catch <laughs> sins by pressing the different face buttons. And it's like, oh, coming down the track now. Y, X, A. Oh, and it's like, <laughs> 10 sins caught. And then it's like, you get some bonus XP. And I'm like, this definitely wasn't in the source material. Like, I'm like, <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, I'm definitely not like, not. I'm not that well read, but even I know they're kind of pushing it there. Um, so this has been like, I would say, a complete waste of time, but one I'm kind of enjoying. Um, it's a good game to have on while I'm using my exercise bike. It's not that stimulating, but it's. Um, I don't know, like, sometimes when there's just so much effort and money thrown at a thing, like, you can really get some interesting results out of it, and this mm. kind of testament to that. Good good combat system, lots of different enemy types, and they've thought pretty long and hard about the structure of it, and the, the different areas look very distinctive from each other, and, you know, it's there's no other setting like this in games, really, even though it kind mm. of definitely has some crossover. Tell you what, would totally have a fucking new metal soundtrack if it came out, like, eight years earlier. Like, that is <laughs> unbelievably what they would do. Um, it's that kind of game. So, Dante's Inferno, um, go buy it at CEX, or uh, play it on, it on Game Pass. Or... And very good for uh, peddling away while you dispassionately watch your half-naked wife get killed. There you go, that's my uh, 2021 boiled down by Matthew Castle. So why don't we go to your third pick, Matthew? Uh, so, uh, Paper Mario, The Origami King. I've talked a little bit about this before. Basically, as part of my campaign of casting shade on Thousand Year Door, um, <laughs> I realise I've become a bit of a an Origami King sort of cheerleader on Twitter in quite an annoying way. Uh, wherever I see people talking about Paper Mario, I wade in, and I'm like, well, actually, I think this one is as good. It, it it started off, I thought Origami King was second best, which is what I think, and has slowly morphed into, it's second best, if not as good, um, which it, I don't think it is, but I, I'm just... Uh, I just I'm sick of the I'm sick of the the, the thousand year deal propaganda. It's driving me up the wall. Um, <laughs> what did you put on your uh, GameCube video again, Matthew? I, I don't thousand, recall. Yeah, thousand year door because I know that there's always <laughs> zealots that I can trick into buying my console. <laughs> and it worked, damn it! You got the and it popular did work vote because they cannot resist thousand year door because they're so blind to anything that follows it. Um, <laughs> but it is still the best. <laughs> but it, yeah it probably is it depends whether or not you treat it as a serious rpg like if there, if there is any of them which still like holds up well if there are two of them that holds up it's paper mario the original and thousand year door in that they have they have the shape and the rhythm of an rpg but it's not a particularly deep complicated or exciting rpg like i think what people like about them is the comedy is the exploring this paper universe it's the psychology of the goomba it's uh all these uh, these classic things, and most of the ones that follow have it. The big beef people have with the later Paper Marios is that they 
they kind of get to a point where they say, well, the battling's not important. Like, you don't actually level up as a character. So really, you could skip all the battles and just focus on the other stuff, which I think is them saying the other stuff is what defines these games. And maybe just getting in a huff that it doesn't force you to grind away on endless fights. You know, maybe that's a good thing? Maybe? I certainly think it is in this. Like, the, I, I'm, I'm not... It, I don't think it overdoes it. You know, I'm not like, oh, geez, there's too much fighting in this. I think the balance of it's very nice. Have you have you looked into this game at all? I own it, Matthew. I was surprised to learn this recently. Um, right. You know, I was looking through my book of Switch games and thought, oh, there it is. It's- so I kind of, like, know that... Uh, I re- I was aware of the kind of flare up of people saying yeah it's not as good as Thousand Year Door but it's still good kind of um, stuff going on like last summer um, so yeah it's yeah like I think where it is as good is it basically each chapter is like a little miniature story and you go on some really wild adventures and they're they're very clearly defined like what happens in each one it isn't just you're following a path to the next boss battle. Like, you know, one of them is like a little Indiana Jones adventure where you're uh, zipping around the desert um, to sort of unlock the riddle of these towers to make a secret temple appear. And that's all like its own thing, you know. And then there's, you know, a level set at sea where you're driving around a boat and fighting mysterious things on ocean liners. And that's its own thing. And there's a level set in this, like, weird samurai theme park, and it has its own, like, mysteries and puzzles and gimmicks to come unpick, and each each bit of the game is a little, it's just a little Mario story, which is the same in Thousand Year Door, you know, Thousand Year Door famously has, like, the stretch where it's a little bit like Murder on the Orient Express, and then there's the bit with the wrestling match, and it's very easy to say these bits, but this, this does it, yeah, just as well, it's got these amazing like signature like the big boss fights you have are against these sort of anthropomorphic bits of stationery like a big box a big box of um coloring pencils and a hole punch and uh they're just really char- you know characterful when they come out they do like weird little song and dance numbers about you know whatever how much they love being a big pile of elastic bands <laughs> uh, it's really really weird but super charming and the the comedy and the humor translates you know it's just very very accessible beautifully made absolutely banging soundtrack really like just uh, some of the battle themes are so good that even if a a random battle pops up at an inopportune moment it's like oh well i'll get to listen to 30 seconds of this banging tune so um you know what's not to love yeah i mean you know just for those at home the uh psychology of a goomba the collected writing of matthew castle will be available in hardcover (laughs) 29.99 next christmas from bitmap brothers so um in this one it's uh there's like quite a a a sort of long arc about this bomb that's lost its fuse Right, and okay. what's the meaning of a bomb that can't explode or a bomb coming to terms with the fact that like his life basically ends in this sort of suicide um, wow heavy it's, shit yeah it's and he never does say it in so many words but it's genuinely like quite moving this little story of this sort of bomb coming to terms with like his great purpose so i thought it was uh yeah really well done <laughs> i've got to say like so that, that sounds pretty good though matthew but the thing that you have said that's maybe want to play Thousand Year Door more than anything else is the Murder on the Orient Express bit. That sounds like rad. I want to see what that's like. So um, I'm worried yeah. that you sold me more on this GameCube game that you're um. Oh well, you're wrestling it's with. really hard to find and play. So uh, <laughs> yeah, 
That's true. Um, so, That's yeah. why this this one is this one actually exists. It's here. It's now. You know, you should just just get on it. Yeah, I I was really surprised people didn't go absolutely nuts for this. Like I, I you know, this is like an easy nine for me, and I thought there were some slightly sniffy and begrudging eights. Um, <laughs> this is good. Ah, good top stuff. Well, I, maybe I'll give that a go over Christmas. Although I have just bought that Dangan Romper collection, Matthew. So, oh, that's amazing as well. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be uh, some. They're so stuff. cheap as well. Those games. Yeah, it's quite a good like um, way they structured it, isn't it? Like money wise, it's like um, yeah, you can put a base like a tenner each, something like that. Maybe a yeah, bit more. and they're like they're like thirty hour games. I mean, they're huge. Jeez, I've just bought ninety hours of more games. <laughs> you just bought ninety hours of incredibly anime murder <laughs> mysteries. <laughs> oh mate, Elden Ring's out in January as well. Fucking hell, oh, it forget February? that. <laughs> No, I've got to play Elden Ring. That's going to be... Um... Nice. Danganronpan. Next year is the year of Danganronpa. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I've been given my assignment. That's uh, that's good. What I found interesting about um, Origami King, actually, is... So, like, my understanding is that last Fire Emblem game wasn't developed, like, f- solely by um, Intelligent Systems. It was, like, made by Tecmo Koei, and they oversaw that Fire Emblem game. And then, But they were, at, but they, Intelligent Systems actually made this. Is that right? Have I got that right there? Uh, I actually don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's just uh, cut that out of the podcast and move on with our lives. Um, <laughs> or you can keep uh, that in no, I, 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 I think I know what you mean about the 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 Tecmo involvement in yeah the Fire Emblem, but not. Uh, I didn't know if that was the deal was was the Paper Mario thing. So no, that's fine. That's fine. We'll just uh, we'll move on. Um, so <laughs> so next up, Matthew, um, a quick one here. But Tony Hawk's Pro Skater One and Two HD. I finally started playing this this year, and oh boy, they, what a lovely collection this is! Just I really wish I bought it on Switch first of all. Like this would have been a great Switch game, just proper like you know dive in for two minutes, kind of carry mm. on thing. I've been listening to a lot of the podcast sixty songs that uh, define the nineties. I think it's called that, or um, right. That uh, that's um, a really good podcast from the Ringer. I've been listening to that nonstop, basically whilst playing this. Uh, no diss to the um, uh, the kind of new metal or like punk metal or whatever genre of music is in this soundtrack. It's basically but, um, just just endless tracks of people going oi 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 oi. Yeah, it's like um, blokes with spiky hair in like 2002, um, kind of recording an album in their bedrooms, sort of vibe. You know, if Papa Roach aren't on there, I assume they are. Um, bands like Papa Roach are on there, but this is really nice. I mean, like, I actually I have like a bit of nostalgia for Pro Skater One, but I will admit that this is a type of game I sort of missed out on at the time. Like, I I did get I did like rent Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Three, I think like three times, and I, I played like all of that eventually. Um, that was still a bit cheaper than buying it, um, <laughs> and like, um, buy, the, I never had a PS One, so um, I missed out on one and two. And um, I did buy that HD collection they did in twenty twelve that I think got a bit of a cool response. So um, this playing this where it was like proper deluxe in terms of animations and how it looked and how it sounded, uh, just fantastic. Being tra- treated with real reverence, and I hope they do do three and four. I've no idea if they will, but like, um, uh. it was a real treat to to just jump into this. Playing on PC feels a bit weird. I'll admit, like um, they seem like the most console games in the world. So like, I'm so I'm sat here at my desk <laughs> playing Tony yeah, Hawk. It somehow like, doesn't seem right. Mouse wheel to manual. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, this feels unholy. <laughs> Using my flight stick to uh, balance while I'm grinding. <laughs> uh, plug in the Steel Battalion controller, Matthew. And uh, yeah, so that was, uh, yeah, that is slightly bizarre. I'm here thinking, uh, I'm glad that play- PC players can play this, but I feel like I should have bought this on a console. Um, that would have made more sense. But um, yeah, did you play this, Matthew? Did you get any uh, around no, this? No, I, I, did, I didn't. Uh, I, 
I imagine it's brilliant. I think didn't they bring in some of the the moves and mechanics from like three and four? Yeah, what is into the thing? this? So this actually does play like those. Yeah, so what is the thing that that you can do to chain moves that they add in three? I think it is. Um, they add that to the to the one two. I don't remember what it's called, but it's that like isn't a, man. That isn't manualing, is it? Uh, maybe. But yeah, something like that, and then like yeah, you can chain moves together like you did in those games. So you basically yeah. do endless combos essentially. So um, yeah, so it, yeah, it feels more kind of contemporary in that respect. Yeah. But of course, this isn't really a genre that moves forward that fast. So um, it's not like you know much has changed with it since um, I yeah. I must admit, I kind of prefer the Tony Hawk approach to the skate approach. I know, you know, Ian Dixon listens to this podcast. That's the end of your friendship with him, Matthew. Um, <laughs> hope you're happy. Well, uh, I know, I know, you're not really allowed to voice that opinion, <laughs> but I felt like that was the undercurrent of like a lot of the glowing reviews for this HD package. I felt there are a lot of people who were secretly coming out as secret Tony Hawk fans, saying, "Oh, this is good. Maybe this was better." Hmm? I sort of think the problem I had with Skate was, you know, obviously you know, a very well-made game, but I was as good at it as I am at real skating, which is to say I am unable to do it. So, yeah. Yeah, it's like less cinematic. It's more like, well, being able to jump up one step is very hard on a skateboard, so that's good in this game. But you're like, <laughs> yeah, but in Tony Hawk you can sort of skate over a fucking, you know, Brontosaurus' neck or something. You know? it's, <laughs> it's just a very different thing. Yeah, this is real good though. I'd like uh, if you can get this like under twenty quid on Switch or or PS Five or whatever. Like, um, yeah, please do. It's really really good. And like, you won't realize just what a box it ticks till it's in your hands, and you like you can get so much achieved in like two minutes, and then feel mm. good about yourself and move on with your day. Top stuff. So, um, what's your next one, Matthew? Oh, so uh, it's the one everyone's been expecting me to talk about. I'm sure uh, it's Daedalus: The Awakening of Golden Jazz. <laughs> Never heard of it, mate. Like, uh, is this a game you made up? No, uh, I hadn't heard about it until earlier this year. I was, uh, I discovered this incredible blog written by a, a guy who translates Japanese crime fiction. He's like one of the big translators for this particular publishing house. Oh, mate. Some, sometimes, also... mate, sometimes, mate, you are just a parody of yourself. You know what I mean? Like, uh, <laughs> reading these blogs. I mean, come on. <laughs> Well, so he's got a blog dedicated to, like, Japanese crime fiction and Japanese crime fiction games. He speaks Japanese, so a lot of the site covers stuff which doesn't come out over here. Um, But I read a lot of his stuff about Jake Hunter, which is a detective series that I'd always kind of written off based on, like, the one that got ported to DS, which was really, really ropey. Um, It's like a hard-boiled detective series. It's been around for, like... 30 years it goes all the way back they're on like the 25th game or something wow and i read on his blog about this one which is like a prequel and a new like the it's the newest one but it's like the prequel to like the whole series about how jake hunter became jake hunter the detective um that's his english name he's got a, a cooler sounding japanese name it's it's not great i'll admit it this is quite a strange Again, kind of visual novel-y, kind of point-and-click adventure uh, game. It's quite similar to the Mystery Club, the Nintendo games that came out this year. I've already forgotten their names uh, because they left such a little impact on me. Famicom Detective Club? Famicom Detective Club, that's it. They're a little like that in terms of sort of a detective novel, but with like an 80s, you know, still with like the 80s sort of um, uh, verb sheet to kind of like go to this location talk to this suspect Mm. um but this one has this strange gimmick that that instead of static 
environment art, it uses real-world locations and has shot them with one of those 360-degree cameras. So you're kind of standing in the middle of every location and then you can kind of spin around. So it's a bit like a point-and-click game set in a Google map. Um, Right, weird. uh, Like a Google Street View. (laughs) <laughs> uh, except there'll be like a cartoon character imposed on it who'll be you know telling you that they didn't murder a bin man or something <laughs> <laughs> so and it is kind of like that is basically it that is what i've explained is so you're in these slightly blurry locations which has a novelty factor in that they are real world locations and you're like oh interesting like they've had to set dress this whole room so that they can do this 360 degree turn but their solution is basically to set a lot of the cases in quite nondescript places there's a very long kind of tutorial case set at a summer camp where you're basically just standing in a load of empty fields it's very very unimpressive and the story's kind of rotten it's not a very engaging localization it's quite a flat slow moving game um but i just saw this screenshot of it of this anime character standing like a real new york alley and thought oh this looks kind of interesting i paid like fucking loads for this on switch (laughs) how much Uh, i have no idea like like it's like a full price game i think i paid like 50 quid for it (laughs) oh okay a real like because i thought i Basically, I'd be reading this blog, and I was like, this guy's so hardcore and cool, he knows all this this stuff about Japanese crime. (laughs) And it kind of, I felt something in me saying, like, I have to, like, not compete, I have to, like, show that I'm a true fan as well. And so I spent 50 quid so unseen on a really bad visual novel. (laughs) (laughs) What I will say is, I'm looking at the screenshots now. It really does just look like someone's house and then there's like three anime children there. It's very strange. But can you sort of understand the mental process where I saw that picture and thought, (laughs) oh, that looks different. Yeah, I can. Maybe I'll give it a go. I can. Uh, 50 quid, though. I mean, like, oh, this is why I have to launch the Patreon, Matthew, to offset some of these costs for you, I think. Um, Just uh, to to put them on the listeners instead of you um, so you can make whims with a safety net. Yeah, like, I think that... I can see what I can see why you did that. I love that it's called Alternate Jake Hunter, Daedalus, The Awakening of Golden Jazz. Like that's like <laughs> Alternate Jake Hunter. That's your opening gambit. Yeah, interesting. I I, I see like why you'd have intrigue about this, but yeah, I'm sorry it didn't work out, buddy. You know? I just thought, yeah, if it had been good, I could have been smugly telling people, "Have you played Awakening of Golden Jazz?" And they'd be like, "Oh, interesting." <laughs> um but uh it isn't to be do you think you know, sometimes any... you've got to take one for the team right <laughs> didn't there's any other podcast where this year where jake hunter has come up in three different episodes like it has an one. <laughs> like do you think there's any other podcast on the internet where that's even possible like well, if there is i should be listening to it <laughs> yeah or hosting um... it you know like uh yeah that's amazing um yeah i was get what about the other jake hunter games on the um the ds they're, any... they're like they're quite slow and chill. They are actually better. The the DS one, you've got to watch out, because they made one, the one I reviewed, it wasn't very good. Then they basically re-released it a year later when they they relocalized it okay. and added a load more stuff because the original was so flat. Um, that is better, and there's a 3DS one, which is um, solid. They're like, you know... It, again, they're quite yakuza in that they're set in like the same kind of districts 
and you spend a lot of time going to like small jazz bars and it plays sort of you know ds version of jazz music in the background it's got a bit of that hotel dust kind of woozy vibe to it mm. nowhere near as good i don't think the mysteries they're a little bit like meat and potatoes they feel old to me they feel like mysteries from the 80s it's very like there's a missing person there's a you know it's, it's there's nothing too sort of sexy or, or or out there about them the one gimmick they have which always makes me laugh is that the hint system if you want to have a hint you basically have to smoke a cigarette and he just thinks <laughs> about it and goes oh i should do this that very <laughs> um, much like speaks to the time in which they were made i guess or yeah, yeah. and it, i like the idea that like that's you know if you get stuck which you often do because these games are basically like weird sequence games where you just have to make sure you go to this location, then this location, talk to this guy, go back to this location. And so a lot of the time you're lost. So it's just about like this detective who's constantly lost and is smoking like a thousand cigarettes a day just to work out where he's meant to be going. Like he'd definitely be dead at the end of one case. Um <laughs> And, like, I thought maybe they should have a system where, like, the more cigarettes you smoke, like, you get, like, more of a cough as the game goes on or something. Something just to acknowledge the fact that you're cheating. That's bleak. Just tarring up your lungs while solving a mystery. (laughs) That's bleak stuff. That explains why they have to have an alternate Jake Hunter to the regular one. (laughs) Yeah, you don't smoke in that one. One final note on that, and this is is how sad I am. Um, I've become obsessed with... When I see places in films and TV shows of trying to find them on Google Street View to see how much they set dress them. <laughs> right, okay. This is like this is like a new thing that's happened in the last year. And this game's really good for it because it's got loads of like New York uh, restaurants and stuff. And it's just, I like to go to the actual Google Street View and see how different it looks from their Street View or if they've had to like change any of it. Right. Uh, you know. You know, yeah. whatever past the time, I suppose. But like, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know. Okay, I've got two questions here. One, what is the kind of like weirdest? What's the thing you've looked up where I guess give me a funny example of something you've looked up from a film in the past year in real oh. life to see what it's like. I mean, I don't know if there are funny examples. That's what's tragic about it. <laughs> it's not even interesting. It's just like uh... <laughs> I like to look at pictures of places where films were made. Sometimes, well, like I like to see like when there's a clearly a fake shop. I want to yeah. see how different it is from the real shop that's there. Yeah, I guess I can kind of see the psychology there. Let's just move on very quickly. Um, so, <laughs> one thing, I did, one final note here, Matthew. Do you think that this is a genre where like the cream really has risen to the top, and we already have access to a lot of the best stuff? And like, or do you think there's still a lot of hidden gems kind of buried away with visual novels? To what extent do you think we're getting like the full measure of the greatest stuff in the um, in the West? I mean it's hard to speak to the quality like there's so much stuff which doesn't come over Mm. um i i'm definitely not claiming to be any kind of expert on this but you know based say on this blog you know there are maybe five percent of what he talks about are actually localized things the rest of it is just things which sound amazing some of them are smartphone games um, some of them are, you know, other, you know, console things. Mostly smart game, smart game things. I think, mm. um, smartphone games. Yeah, I get the impression a lot of it isn't coming over. Um, but I think there is a lot that does. But I, I wonder if it's like more the, you know, whenever I look for visual novels on Switch or Steam or whatever, there seems to be a lot of kind of romancey ones and not a lot of these detectivey ones. So maybe it's just. Uh, you know, a proven audience, you know, maybe the failure of the uh, 
awakening of golden jazz ha- hasn't made a strong case for bringing over more. Oh, well, you know, that's, uh, yeah, what a shame to, like, hinge it all on that. But, hey, you know, you threw your 50 quid at it, so what more can you I, do? You're doing everything you can. I was definitely the only person who bought it on that day, I imagine. <laughs> I like to think they're, like, they've got, like, a ping on their computer, and they're, like, someone has bought it in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> someone wants our alternate Jake Hunter. <laughs> Well, if any artists out there want to make um, a game that's a bit like this, this is Matthew Castle's dream game to make um, a kind of a visual <laughs> novel someday. So uh, get in touch with the podcast, backpage yeah. pod, uh, backpagegames at gmail.com. So uh, just to stop Matthew from looking at photos of places where films were made um, on Google Street View. So next up for me, Matthew, I think you've played this one too, because I was comparing Xbox achievements. That's my sad habit. Oh, it's, um, right. <laughs> the Quake Remaster uh, by Night Dive Studios. It was released this year. Available on uh, Game Pass, like a lot of Night Dive's uh, releases, they've kind of basically gone into this um, classic PC game and added, made it work really well on modern formats, uh, optimized the controls, uh, optimized the visuals, and presented it in all the kind of like different resolutions you'd want. You're able to change the different visual effects and stuff like that. Really, really good stuff. Um, I very much enjoyed this, Matthew, because. It was. It reminded me of like what first-person shooters used to be like, which is you could get lost and not finish a level because you don't know where you are, and like <laughs> that was that's just not part of the DNA of these games anymore, really. Um, yeah. And so, um, you know, and so in that sense, I really enjoy just what like a pure hit of level design they they were. Um, I probably played about ten levels of this, maybe a bit more, and just how fast some of them are some of them you zip through in like two minutes some take about 10 minutes you get lost some the way you like are swim underwater loop through here go back up through here and then like it's the kind of like mazy levels like um you can see how this would be a real good crash course for like learning to to uh, learning game design i guess or learning level design just to like build a good quake map um mm. i can see why that would be like good education for someone but mm. um generally speaking i just love how kind of like full-blooded it, it is and like the kind of very weird sort of like I guess, like, medieval fantasy sort of leaning of Quake. It's just a very sort of specific um, thing. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I thought this was great to, to just see this on Game Pass, a perfect Game Pass edition in that, like, I didn't really intend to play through the full thing, but really appreciate just having it on tap to, like, give it a go as a curiosity play. Any thoughts, mm. Matthew? Yeah, yeah, I think I didn't even play as much as you did. But, uh, you know, likewise, just going into it to see if it stirred up any memories from playing i never played through the whole thing i don't think in my youth but i you know i've played a little bit of it and it was like yep that's this yeah uh, like i don't know it's it's probably <laughs> shedding listeners by their hundreds uh by saying like you know i i kind of maybe i'm spoiled a bit by like you know the new doom games or whatever or the pace of them the slickness of them you know i i, I, I find this stuff uh like still enjoyable but a bit quaint in a way yeah you can see though how like um to someone who's only like played you know the doom games for example like that kind of style of shooter or duke nukem how what a step up this would have been at the time oh, yeah absolutely yeah yeah absolutely but uh, i that's the thing if it, it feels more like a you know history lesson i guess than maybe something sort of like stunning in its own right though i haven't played the there's the the new stuff made by machine games um, which by all accounts is quite interesting yeah yeah that's quite a cool addition to it like um I, honestly i've just been really impressed by like the movement and shooting it's just lovely and also mm. it's actually really hard to get like a 
a PC shooter like this to work well on a controller. And they did a great job with it, like the sensitivity of it and stuff. Like, I've played a couple of like um, older shooters on modern formats where it feels like the aiming reticule doesn't quite line up properly with like analog sticks and stuff. And um, this is like never a problem with Night Dives games because they're just like specialists at this and they like really um they really nail it. So um yeah, a, a cool thing that happened this year and like um mm. you know I, it's nice to see them doing things that aren't like Turok and Shadow Man as well just because oh, I like... played Shadow Man this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, top stuff. Um, didn't bring that up in the N64 draft, Matthew, for shame. Oh, but, uh, yeah. yeah, sexy, creepy Zelda. <laughs> oh, okay, so what's another one of yours, Matthew? Uh, uh, just a little nod to Luigi's Mansion 3, which I stalled on last year and I finished, so I think that counts as a game from last year yeah. that I played this year, which I which I liked. Uh, I thought it dragged on a little bit towards the end. Um, I don't know if you've played this one at all, Samuel. No, I'm um, I'm familiar with the first two, but I assume this is like a very similar kind of thing. Um, sort of structurally, it's got a great hook in that it's this big hotel, and you're trying to sort of unlock uh, the floors to get to the top because that's where you know the big boss is waiting for you. And each floor is is almost like a level has like a self-contained gimmick. So they start off, you know, things you might under you know things you might expect like. You know, here's just a floor of like, you know, hotel rooms, or this floor is the gym, or this floor has, um, you know, the restaurant and the kitchen or whatever. Um, but as they go higher, you get into like weird sort of suites, which are based on like, this is like, you know, the pirate suite or the Egyptian suite or whatever. And so the floors have got, they sort of justify being sort of little self contained adventures where, you know, there's like a, a weird nautical theme or like there's a floor which is like a nightclub and there's always always mad puzzles involving um like disco lights and light panels and things so mm. it definitely um but the, uh, it definitely finds like an interesting way to, to sort of structure it but the, the the actual quality from floor to floor is quite different like there's some really strong stuff early on like there's a really like there's a floor which is basically like a film studio huh. and there's always quite odd stuff about like special effects and like um ghosts coming out of TVs a bit like scre- uh ring um Ugh. yeah but like luigi style so it's kind of cute oh, um yeah. <laughs> it just i don't know i just feel like it's i feel like its best levels were were stacked early on and by the end of it you're just you know you go into a floor you get the button you go up a floor you go in there you get the button it's got some horrible backtracking where uh there's this like you occasionally get the button and then this sort of ghost cat jumps out steals the button and runs through the hotel and you have to basically go back through loads of floors chasing this cat and it just feels like it feels like padding. I think it took me about fifteen hours all told, but it could have been like quite a tight ten and better for it. Mm. Um, really handsomely made, but it is also like I just don't feel like there's enough to that character. I just you know in terms of like vacuum Luigi, you know there's only so many things that guy can do with his equipment, and you know that's the other problem with the second half is you feel like you've seen like every interaction going, and it's uh, I don't know. I'd hold off before doing Luigi's Mansion 4 if I was Nintendo, because I just don't know if, if there's, like, much more, like, mileage in it. That's interesting, because, like, um, you know, I know this is acclaimed, and, like, do you know it's sold 9.59 million copies? That's crazy. That's, That's like... just a Switch. People will buy... Well, they won't buy anything. It is good. Don't get me wrong. Um, 
I, I always thought it was amazing they managed to like so when I played the second one I was amazed they managed to get more out of the formula like um at all but they did they did you know add some novel stuff and it really helped that it was like it looks lovely on the 3ds as well that was yeah. like a big technical showcase um I never that, really that is it's here. that that I think that is it's like reason to exist is it's it's like the most flashy sort of triple a feeling thing they have weirdly like it's it's very showy it's very sort of lots of weird bespoke animation it feels lush and expensive and it's not like as gameplay driven as nintendo's other stuff it's it's very western i guess yeah i mean it's sort of like a point and click game kind of um Mm. maybe like a kind of a lighter version i don't know like um when i played the original luigi's mansion i did think this definitely feels like there's a I'd seen everything in that game and I didn't have a like a massive appetite to to play another um mm. just because that 5 or 6 hour game just kind of contains everything you want from that particular set of mechanics so yeah that's not to say that the two, second one didn't build on it in some interesting ways but um yeah three games yeah I think, yeah, yeah I I think the second one's still my favorite of the three just in terms of I really like the 3D effect I thought that really added to it I thought pacing wise it it didn't have them make the missteps of this one. This one's got some quite bad boss fights as well. Like he's quite a slow cumbersome character. Like he's not great for if you throw too much at him, it can become like surprisingly difficult, which you know, maybe it's a get good come on, Luigi's mansion can't be that hard, but I, I definitely thought there were some some sort of clumsy beats in it that I thought, man, if you know a, a kid would might might stumble over some of this. Mm. I definitely was. <laughs> okay, interesting. Well, um, I think my girlfriend bought me this last year, so uh, at some point um, I have played the other two. So maybe I should just give this a go, see what it looks like. Yeah, and, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's 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 pretty it's pretty swanky for sure. I, I do like the idea of a themed rooms thing. That's pretty cool. That is like um, a good way to sort of build on it. But like you say, if it's sort of front loaded in that respect, then that's tough. Yeah, uh, but yeah, and just some of them are like. Does anyone really want to go to a hotel and buy a suite where, like, it's covered in sand? Like, <laughs> that is just, that is not my idea of a good time. And it's, like, high up, so that would suggest it's, like, an elite suite. The idea of, like, paying, like, if on your honeymoon you're knackered from all the travelling and you turn up and there's just a lot of fucking sand in your bed, I'd be livid. So you're questioning the logic of a game where Luigi hunts for ghosts. Um... Well, I'm questioning, like... <laughs> That's the concept that invades the hotel. The hotel exists pre-Luigi's Mansion. <laughs> you know, they're wow. suggesting that someone in the Mushroom Kingdom... Well, actually, thinking about it, this is aimed at people in the Mushroom Kingdom. You know, based on what we know about the other levels of Mario games where people live, right. you know, it's, you're probably used to it. Deserts, <laughs> ice, slippy, slidey ice worlds, the works. So a hotel with a sand floor is kind of plausible, I guess. Um, yeah, and Mario would be like... Oh, fine. This is like dry, dry desert. Whatever. That's okay. I can deal with this. <laughs> oh, amazing. What, when he takes Peach there for the weekend? Just for a yeah. bit of a romantic well, If he went away. in there and it was just like, you know, like a nice hour world hotel, like a human world hotel yeah. with just like a really comfy bed and nice towels, that might not seem exciting when like, you know, your back garden is an apple that floats in space. <laughs> you know? Is this a really weird episode of our podcast, Matthew? Like, it's a bit like Sunday night, the kind of, like, things are getting a bit strange. Like, uh, it's, it's some vibes that are just a bit a bit odd with this episode. I can't explain why. I'm just getting the slight fear. But it's, uh, no, it's, it's the good. awakening of Golden Jazz. 
I'm looking at those screenshots. I'm not quite the same afterwards, admittedly. Um, <laughs> so my next one is what I haven't discussed on this podcast before, but I did fire through in a weekend this year. Resident Evil 3 Remake, Matthew. So mm. I finally gave this a go. I know it's kind of like considered quite like, you know, definitely, definitely the shadow of uh, Resident 2's remake. And I agree, but... I think the fact that you can basically buy this for 16 quid on all formats now, it's like a re- it's a perfectly good like five hour resi game to just fire through. I think all the points you made when we discussed this previously about Nemesis, uh, I think we discussed that on the um, 2020 episode actually, were like fair, like they don't do anything interesting with Nemesis relative to like Mr. X, which is such a distinctive mm. part of that uh, first game. Generally speaking, it feels like it's kind of like, it feels like, I don't want to say like DLC, because it doesn't really. It definitely has like its own sections. But it's just such a like, you race through the game and then it's kind of over sort of thing. But like, um, I must admit, I thought the hospital section this was pretty good. I thought that was like quite, quite tense. Especially when you get those big monsters chasing after you, the big green things. And mm. um, I did also, I thought the opening was great when it's first person and you're in Jill's apartment. Like that. I thought that the game was going to be completely different based on that. I thought it was going to be like really right. like immersive and quite spooky, and like um, you'd be kind of like edging out into the city to see what the deal is. But then it immediately turns into like shooting loads of zombies and stuff. That's quite a nice opening area in like a Raccoon City street you didn't see in Resi Two, um, with like a toy yeah. shop and stuff. That was pretty cool. Just generally speaking, though, like it never it never gets anywhere near the highs of that um, Resi Two remake. It's just not quite as good a product and it's because the source material is not as not as sexy but also it's not like they i don't think they did every single part of the source material in this version like i think there's like a a few bits missing and uh yeah yeah just uh that's that's odd i think given how short it is like it's very short and they cut stuff Mm. yeah i think that's i think all the criticism is fair but it's actually like a proper like if you've got five hours in a weekend to kill like just kind of play it and enjoy it it's not it's not that strenuous and um no no it's not bad it it, it ends quite spectacularly as well oh it's crazy it's like a a gigantic like monster and yeah it's not like a great boss battle but it looks looks real good yeah the bit of the rail gun is just very very satisfying yeah for sure and like um they are you know like resi 2 it looks fantastic for sure um Mm. just like you know your mileage on uh carlos oliviera may vary um but um yeah (laughs) quite interesting to hear mikami sort of like dunking on this one and say it wasn't quite worthwhile of being called resi 3 compared to code veronica um in that archipel documentary i think i'm inclined to agree but yeah i i did think the hospital section was really well structured in this just like um it sort of it slowly gets worse and worse and like you start to dread going back through different parts of it to um to get mm. to the end of it so i thought that was one area where it was like i don't know like, it had its own kind of thing going on separate from um resi 2 but um you it's know just, it's yeah. just odd that it like there's some there's some weird differences between two and this you know like the things like the zombie body damage is a lot less sophisticated in three than it is in two like there's some mm. you know they they feel like not just the work of different teams but almost like different engines at times there's something very odd with this yeah. game <laughs> it, like it feels like it was made in the same style but then like concurrently so there's just some yeah yeah some oddities they just there. took it in a different direction at times and it's just i wish it'd been a bit more interplay i guess because there's stuff that is so good in two that just feels like such a you know i just uh, you know it's been done to death but yeah yeah the nemesis mr x stuff it just feels like such a missed opportunity but 
Yeah, hey ho. But yeah, I, I like I say six. If you can get it for like sixteen quid, fire through it. Like it's worth it. It's just like it's it's perfectly fine for that if your expectations are in check. I think it's good that I waited quite a while from um, the Resi Two remake to give it a go. So yeah, a good um, would have been a classic kind of rental game back in the day mm. um, where that thing you can That's still. Like- Three copies of this for 16 quid, or one copy of The Awakening of Golden Jazz for 50. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, like, two copies of uh, 428 should be a scramble. So, um, <laughs> you have to wait yeah. up at home the uh, economics of uh, video games. So, what's your next one, Matthew? Uh, th- a very small shout out for a binary domain which has been added to the. It's got the FPS boost on 360. Um, on Xbox Series X even, they, they recently announced a load of new back-compat games, but they also did the FPS boost, which is where they take the old games, sprinkle some magic on them. Um, come on, this isn't Digital Foundry, what do you expect? And um, double the frame rate, or quadruple the frame rate in some places. This one is, yeah, a, a 30 frames, up to 60 frames. And if you don't have, you don't own the game on PC, or you don't have access to it, or whatever, uh, this is just a really great way to play it i was i was uh playing some of this over the weekend and uh a reminding myself how good uh binary domain is it's just a, a really fun third person shooter with enemies that are very satisfying to shoot and it's one where actually the frame rate i think does help because uh if you've not played this game you're fighting robots and they sort of shatter very impressively they've got like almost sort of ceramic body parts that break as you shoot them and it reveals like the exoskeleton underneath and so you're trying to like you know as you shoot them all bits are coming off them and they keep coming and you're sort of breaking them down and obviously the smoother that looks the kind of prettier the effect is um but yeah i just thought i'd highlight this as a you know there's i've suddenly got a pile of stuff other stuff i want to revisit on xbox because they've pumped it up in some way or made it available in some way like oh, some yeah. of the xbox stuff you're talking about like i'm I'm actually sort of jonesing to play a bit of max Payne 2 if i can find a copy yeah i was quite gutted that that like um got announced like in the time since we recorded that podcast and the draft going live i thought well that's less tasty now because people can just go fucking <laughs> play it on their xbox series X. but yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was great. It was great to see that. I think the entire Max Payne series was made available on there. That was cool. Yeah, including Max Payne Three, which I know you're less keen on. But like, um, should I play Binary Domain, Matthew? I've never played it. It's a UK oh, yeah. team, right? Yeah, you'd like it. Yeah, I feel like I probably would, and I don't. I don't know why it passed me by at the time. Maybe it was it's... my uh, long-standing feud with Negoshi. I don't know. But like, um... yeah, I, I think it got not majorly dunked on, but definitely sniffed at in reviews. Like, lots of people gave it sort of sevens. You know, or sort of sixes saying, well, it's not a Gears. And you're like, no, it isn't. But it's also got, a, you know, maybe this was pre sort of Yakuza and that team being like majorly popular and kind of culty in, in, the, in the same way they are now. Mm. And maybe I'm just applying some of that love retroactively to it. But I think it, it, you know, the enemies are genuinely really satisfying. It's got great tone. It's got some really funny side characters. The main character is, like, the most generic action man of all time. Like, a real, like, um... I can't remember what he's called. I think he's called Daniel. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I can tell you. Um, But you do get to partner up with a French robot um, called Kane, and it's just a man doing a comedy French accent and saying, like... Zoo laws whenever robots come in and stuff, and that's just, that's just great. I mean, how can you not enjoy that? <laughs> Did the original version have some like talking, ordering people in your headset kind of mechanic to it? Yeah, you yeah you can shout orders at them. I mean, it, it, 
there were button controls for it as well. You just hold a button. It, you know, it's like sort of giving commands in a Rainbow Six or something. It's just like, go over there or like defend me or I need help. But yeah, you could do it over a headset if you had one. You could shout like, Kane, give me health or whatever. And, but but yeah, I don't know how well it works. But you have to shout it in French because he's a French. You have to shout it in French. <laughs> oh. Je m'appelle... Oh no, that's my name is. I was going to say <laughs> Je m'appelle Hurt. <laughs> Uh, Ferme Lacaille, that means, uh, I think, close your book. Close the book. Yeah. <laughs> that's all I remember from French. Ferme La Bouche. That's Shut a- your mouth. <laughs> this is why, uh, yeah, like, uh, basically no English people know second languages. Well, also, um, Kane speaks such good English, you don't need to. Yeah, well, that's the problem with, like, all English people, though, isn't it? Go to other countries. It's like, they'll speak English, so it's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, Binary Domain, I think I own this on PC. And, um, right. Well, you yeah. probably don't. You you wouldn't see the the benefits on Xbox, and it's still quite like low res and rough around the edges. But I appreciate it. I've I've made a little stack of games I own on disc that I want to like revisit or see how they look. Oh, yeah. um, so uh, yeah. I've got uh, the original near lined up. Oh yeah, yeah. Because that's got frame rate boost, and that's still like you know. I played a bit of the redo of that this year and thought. Uh, this kind of isn't ma- madly different from how it was, so I should maybe just play that again. I'm actually really up for replaying Deus Ex, the second one, the Mankind di- Divided. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. uh, that's got the frame boost as well, so that should look lovely on Xbox. Oh, yeah, I played that on PC originally, and it looked um, tasty as hell. It's, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of keen to give that another go. Go enjoy the uh, Pawnee district of um, Prague in... Uh... Oh, yeah, rate, double yeah. the frame rate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, double the frame rate, double the thirst. <laughs> okay, let's move on. So, um, <laughs> my next one, Matthew, inspired by the episode we did with Rich, is Metal Gear Solid Two: Sons of Liberty. So, well, it's just because you do your homework and I don't. <laughs> well, no, I did this one after that we did the podcast, oh, okay. actually. Um, which um, actually, like, uh, I was confronted with again, like the Arkham Knight thing. I was confronted with some like takes of mine that I'd kind of forgotten, a long buried, and that is that. Uh, Sorry, Rich, I don't like bomb disposal. And, like, um, there is a lot of it in the first half of this game. And, like, the Peter Stillman character is such a fucking dud. He's such a boring guy. Like, um, Oh, you wait until Rich isn't here to say this. (laughs) You know, when he comes on again, um, does Metal Gear Solid 1, which is something I plan to pitch next year to him. Is um we can we can go through that, but yeah, the Fat Man boss fight is good actually. Like that's like a good use of the bomb disposal. But I think maybe it's because I just know the locations of all the bombs. I still remember where they all are all these years later, like where you go in the toilets and all this stuff. And um yeah, but like honestly, the big shell is just so dull. It's so so boring, man. <laughs> Compared to the the tanker, it's just really really boring. And all like. Right. Um, I'm glad we didn't record... I'm glad you didn't replay it properly before the podcast. <laughs> well, no, it's that thing where, like, I go into, like... I got to one of the struts in the first part of the game. I thought, oh, what's this room? What defines this room? It's just a fucking room with boxes in it. It's the box room. And, like, you can sit on a conveyor belt and go around in a box. And, like, that's, like, kind of novel, I guess. But it's a really boring space to be in. And they're all a bit like that. This is the the space that's got a leaky pipe in it. And this is the one where it's, like just some lockers and like one room's got some mines in it and it's just it's so such a boring sequence of places it gets a bit spicier when you're going into the central bits of the struts and like um some of the boss fights have real spectacle to them but it, it is quite hard work the um like the riding mm. stuff like just it's, it's not just like riding as a character it's 
all the stuff around him. All the best bits are like when you encounter Snake and you're like, oh, there's Snake and um, and that sort of thing. But like, um, I will say, still a really good like pure stealth game. What I said on there about like my quite bold thing about this being a better stealth game than MGS3, I think I do stand by that just in terms of its simplicity. Um, because mm. there's still quite a lot of nuance to this in terms of like shooting out their, um, obviously they're like uh, uh, sort of um, walkie-talkies, so they can't call for help, and like um, how you can like dart certain enemies, how you can like toss their body off the side of the big shell if you want to, and um, how there are like ciphers that fly around, and their enemies that can go like um, up or down, so they can like um, just sort of pop out of nowhere sometimes, and like you have to think about the escalation of where enemies are, like in terms so the elevation of where enemies are, and. It's a really, really, like, it's a great stealth game, I think. But, um, yeah, just quite quite boring. It's a bit like going to, like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, just, like, uh, like a real oil rig and being like, oh, I'm so bored right now. I wish I was somewhere else. And, like, um, that's why, like, you know, going <laughs> to a jungle. I imagine a real oil rig is really exciting. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, maybe I'm being a bit down on oil rigs. So, I mean, we all know this is not a real location anyway. It's just a front for Arsenal gear, which is um, <laughs> preparing to crash into Manhattan for whatever reason, uh, containing an AI that can rewrite fucking all of the news in the entire universe or whatever fucking bullshit it is. I um, I got to say, like, I've got a lot of love for the overall game, but there's definitely a sense I've played this one too many times. That said, what a lovely version that Metal Gear Solid 2, um, sorry, Metal Gear Solid HD edition is on Xbox, Matthew. Just like mm. a great way to future proof that. They were right to like um, put that backwards compatibility was a gift, goddammit. So um, while I, while pleasingly the uh, Metal Gear Solid 3, uh, sorry, 4 remains locked away on the PS3, um, you can still play 2 and 3 on Xbox. So uh, yeah, slightly bummed out by it, but um, you know. Hey, it's, it was um, the fact that I played through four or five hours of a game that's twenty years old and and didn't get too like um, sort of wasn't disappointed by it. That's probably a sign that it's standing the test of time quite well. So, um, mm. what's your last just, one, Matthew? I was going to say this is just why I don't replay really a lot of stuff because the constant fear that I have to reverse a take. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially on this podcast where like we've built so much. Um, of our cred on like uh, takes on old stuff that we've tried not to think about for like seven oh, or eight yeah. years. <laughs> like, imagine if I like you know I, I replay the original Ace Attorney trilogy and I'm like oh yikes this is a bit six out of ten that'd be awful. No, that'd th- be like my whole brand comes crumbling down. No, they're definitely good. You're fine. Those yeah, they're like- definitely good. I have I have replayed those recently, so that's fine. But yeah. there's definitely some things where I'm like. A little nervous of replaying them for that very reason. You're so. like, no, Risen. I thought you were so good in 2009. <laughs> <laughs> You're a big, big Risen head, if I recall. Oh um, yeah, you know me. <laughs> Love it. Uh, your last one here, Matthew. Um, talk me through it. Uh, so I've been playing a bit of GTA San Andreas as part of the definitive edition, and while that is new, I think this counts as a game from yesteryear. Like I, I didn't. I, it's definitely not in contention for like my games of the year. Uh, pod um, uh, contribution, which I actually thought it might be. I had, when they announced this, I actually had really high hopes because I thought, oh, this could be, you know, this could be like a very accessible version of these games, which um, you know, I've never finished San Andreas because I got stuck on it, as we've talked about many times. And so I thought, oh, well, if they've, you know, made some quality of life improvements, that's the stuff I was excited about. And I think to give it like some credit, it's. It's it's quite nice to play in control, like, you know, driving the cars and everything. I feel, uh, you know, as in control of that game as I ever have been. It's just that it's... don't think they've shown it quite the love or quality of life stuff that I'd hoped. Like, it feels 
kind of weirdly budget. I mean, a lot of people have talked about like the visual problems, but even just from the off, like the interface of it and the maps and the just the feel of it, like the feel of the the sort of front end and the menus of it, like the fonts. You know, that seems super nerdy, but sometimes there's just a font. You look at it and go, oh, it's a bit of a budget decision, that. And it just doesn't feel cherished as you thought it might. You know, I thought this is like, what you know, GTA's their crown jewels. Surely you've got to treat it with some respect. But, yeah, this is pretty yikes um, on that level. But as an actual, like, A to B playing it, um, you know, I'm not actually that far into it. I'm still pootling around with the original gang and going to... Uh, Big Smoke's house a lot. <laughs> Is that his name? Yeah, that's right, Big Smoke. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm still I'm still doing a lot of the kind of tutorial missions. I think when I played this originally, I remember thinking, "Wow, this is so um, comprehensive. This world is so alive. Like you go to the gyms to work out and get stronger, and you go to the restaurants to eat, and all that kind of stuff." But actually, like now, that stuff seems quite kind of like linear and standard it doesn't feel as hugely ambitious and alive mainly because they have trumped that and they've gotten so good at that world building and it's very unfair to compare that you know a game made 15 years ago to to this what they're doing now but you know it feels a lot more like icons on a map than a kind of living place that i'm kind of engaging with in an interesting way you know it feels a bit more you know saints rowy or like a, a lower a slightly lower tier of of open world game it's not this sort of truly organic living breathing city trademark that i remember it as which has been an interest so that's a bit of an eye-opening experience but i still like pootling around it i love that you can just ride little bikes around that's great yeah the bikes feel really nice in fact like yeah. um i would say that generally speaking like the the part where the collections like really improved is just the controls generally like um mm. cars feel really like nice to drive i would say like um you can turn a corner and it does, and if it, it feels like it should i guess like it's kind of yeah. slightly arcadey driving and yeah. like not as stiff as i remember it being on ps2 you know i forgot how vague the kind of wanted system is in these games you know the rules of how to escape or what you're trying to escape or how to get rid of the police uh, it seems a little undefined to me like there's still quite a reliance on the pay and spray and all that's just something that's like my big memory of these games was just being quite frustrated whenever the police came into play which still happens to me now but you know they're not going to rewrite the rules of the game i get that but yeah it's like um it's tough because these days like when you play something like gta online they've made the police such a small part of that game that all you have to do is basically like you can call someone on your phone pay like 300 dollars and get rid of your wanted rating like the police aren't right. even a factor and here you're right like they're that your number one threat and like you when you got two stars you're basically fucked like uh unless, right. unless you can find a pain spray or you can drive through one of those like bonuses that get rid of one star and then with your one star just go hide somewhere like it's just like a system that hasn't dated that well because as a player you don't feel like you've got much agency to get rid of the cops whereas i would say that gta 5 has got quite a sophisticated like um you know system for like how the police track you down and stuff and right they will sometimes seem psychic and come out of nowhere and get you but you can see their line of sight very clearly you can drive off road and avoid them like it's quite a smart system um yeah and this yeah. Here, here i just feel like i'm constantly bumping into them by accident and then causing 
huge amount of grief for myself. Like, most of my failures are just due to dumb accidents escalating rather than the actual set pieces they want me to be enjoying. So I guess, like, my next pick ties into this, Matthew, so should I discuss it? Yeah, that's, yeah, I'm interested here because it's obviously part of the same thing. Yeah, so Grand Theft Auto 3, I've been playing that in the uh, remastered edition. I'll be honest, I had a really good time with it. Like, um, I, oh, can't, I can't speak for the... Um, the collection as a whole really because i still haven't played vice city or san andreas but like um even though the skies i the exact like color palette isn't the same as i remember it i actually found like the character models and the city look really nice i thought i thought like gt3 came out really well from it i think that i like the mix of like real realistic environments but the um they picked a certain style for the characters, which I think worked really well. Uh, like the 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 character Tony Cipriani looks a bit like a jacket potato, but you know that's like <laughs> probably the only one where I thought he looks a bit weird. Um, and like, here's what I was shocked by: right, is just how much you cut out of these games where you have checkpoints. Like right. the checkpointing system in this is so generous. Like. It doesn't checkpoint mid-mission, but you realise why it doesn't do that. It's because the missions are so short in GTA. You forget about this. Like, if there's one thing it kind of gave me an appreciation of, it's that, like, there's a real craft to how Rockstar does missions now, where there's, like, these big cinematic elements, and they're kind of in multi-stages sometimes, and then, like, Mm. they'll escalate and have quite a cinematic crescendo. Whereas here, it's very much like, go do this thing, and that's kind of it. And, like, um, as we discussed on that GTA 3 episode... That means they are quite open worldy sometimes because they really are just like do this the way you want to do it, and like uh, that's that that definitely has its own appeal. But then you realise that like sometimes when you're doing those missions back to back, you realise you miss the kind of extra touches that Rockstar bring to the modern games, where it is like handcrafted and exciting. And it, maybe it, uh, maybe I'm being fickle here, but sometimes you just want a little bit of that guided hand to just kind of give give you that thrill factor that maybe you don't necessarily get when it's just like go destroy these four things on the map and it's just very like rote and you kind of do it and you go back because there's no reason to have a particularly inventive approach because you've got a time limit Mm. and whatever and so i was shocked by that because i i knocked through this game in like six days and i don't even play it that much and like it took me a year to finish this game on ps right (laughs) there's two things to that one i am a lot better at games now but two, they've added this aiming system that makes like the game a lot easier, which I have no problem with whatsoever. Because a casual kind of like breeze through these games is exactly what I was looking for, really. Like I didn't want mm. to be like I didn't want to struggle my way through them like I did previously. And you realise that so much of the time in GTA is like reloading a save where you've got guns, or like you know having to go back to ammunition and buy a load of stuff. And, <laughs> And, like, you realise that that was a massive part of... That was a massive time sink. And having checkpoints completely cuts that out. And, like, what an improvement it makes. But it also makes the games, like I say, incredibly sure. I absolutely fired through this. Mm. And, like, I unlike with a PS2 one where I use cheats all the time. I didn't use a single cheat once in this. And I didn't have to. And even, like, the last mission, which is quite tough in GTA, we got to shoot down uh, Catalina's helicopter at this dam. Even that I managed to... Uh, get i finished on like the third attempt and it's like um fairly straightforward so yeah i just i had a really good time firing through this and like um i'm sort of like i suppose i'm sort of like dodging around the sort of like the the wider discussion of this game like um but Mm. all all i'm really speaking to here is that i played gta 3 it was basically like i remembered it but with some improvements and it was really cool so i'll keep an eye on what happens to the collection as they kind of keep patching it but um Mm. 
yeah, I was. Uh, it was. It like it gave me the exact nostalgia hit I wanted, Matthew. So, um, so a big thumbs up for GTA Three Jacket Potato Cipriani Edition. <laughs> I posted a picture of him. He was my big twenty twenty one mood. Just like, just very strange, kind of like um, <laughs> sort of take on that character uh, model. Um, but that's not how I pictured him. I was pictured him as looking a bit like Michael Madsen because he's voiced by Michael Madsen, so he's like gravel right. voiced and stuff. And nope, Jacket Potato. So um, yeah, also Matthew. <laughs> The thing you pointed out on that podcast about how a man would come out of a doorway, shout at you, and then like leave again as the start to every mission. I laughed so many times as that happened over and over <laughs> again in this. Because I was like, that so is what GTA is. It's just like, it's summed up by Joey Pants as Luigi in the first few missions. Yeah, Go right. uh, pick up Misty from across town. And like, um, and uh, don't don't touch her on the way back and all this stuff and you're like this is what matthew said it is it's just a man shouts at you and you wordlessly absorb information and then like go off and do a thing um by san by san andreas all that's changed is that the man he comes out and shouts at you then sits in the car while you drive and continues to shout at you and that's that's the difference that's that, the, that's the the evolution that would sum up like um kind of where Rockstar Games would go after that, where it's like, you know, drive to this town and we'll have like an eight-minute conversation along the way kind of thing. Yeah, so, uh, (laughs) yeah, good stuff. I will definitely do the other two. I'm I'm thinking about doing Vice City next. I'm not sure how long to wait. Like, I don't know what kind of changes I'll make, you know. That's the only one you can't get for, like, free, isn't it? Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, because it's not on PS Now or, like, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, so the GTA games, please stay here, and uh, I guess I'll keep an eye on what happens with these um, these new versions, I, Matthew. They've added some fog effects to San Andreas. Now, yeah, they yeah. have. I, I, I think the the smoother playing of them is like a better addition, you know, outweighs the, 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 the negative sort of like some of the visual kind of like goofiness that you see. Like generally, you know, I, I was having quite a smooth time playing through it. Um so yeah, I you know, as always, online is just really centered in on on the thing which is sexy, which is like here's a man with like giant elbows or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and that stuff's funny. You know, it's not very sexy to go. Oh, I can drive around corners a bit more easily, but it is true you can. <laughs> yeah, and you can aim like really easily. Feel, feels nice to fire like uh, GTA three guns with like a PS five controller. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's but it's it's. Uh... It has got one of the maddest inventory systems. That thing you said about like losing your guns and having to go stop back up again—that <laughs> is so true, and it's so frustrating. Yeah, like, and they kept that through to San Andreas, you know. Oh, it's just that is—it's so mad. Like they were so on top of the world, they could put whatever bullshit they wanted in their games, <laughs> and we all just had to like dance to the beat of their drum because <laughs> they were like making the best worlds. That's the thing. Um, yeah, so like, I, yeah, I, I agree with you about the kind of. I think the thing that that kind of like hits home is the scale of the places they are tiny places you realize like um mm. i don't know about los santos in, in san andreas but certainly liberty city it's very very small you realize you can d- drive from one side to the other in about a minute really and it's uh but you know like the, the atmosphere i would say still kind of impressive all these years later i do miss the very specific color palette of gta 3 just mm. i just don't think they can make that maybe it was like a product of limitation or something but mm. I don't know. It's um, I'm pleased that I can still play them, and I um, I look forward to seeing what state they're in in maybe six months. They might be um, people might be mm. a bit happy with them online by then, but we'll see. So Matthew, that completes our games that we've been playing uh, this year episode that didn't um, that for games that didn't actually come out this year. I'll, I'll think of a snappier title for the actual name of the <laughs> podcast. 
Oh, no, um, that should be it. Yeah, great. Yeah. And then on the end, colon Jackie Potato edition. <laughs> yeah, um, and uh, the front of the podcast will say alternate Jake Hunter episode fifty five. <laughs> um, uh, okay, yeah. So this is a very kind of a loose episode, but I enjoyed it, Matthew. I thought it was good. Yeah, yeah. If you'd like to follow the podcast, it's Backpage Pod on Twitter. I don't remember what our next podcast is, Matthew. can't remember if it's like the Lord of the Rings one or... It's not Game of the Year time yet, is it? That's still a few weeks away. No, I've still got, a few, I've got a, a, some stuff I want to cram in for it, so... Yeah, I've got to play Inscription, The Forgotten City, and Metroid Dread. So, um, yeah. I've got to play Halo Infinite. Oh, yeah, of course. That's out very, very soon. Um, so, yes, uh, by the time people are listening to this, it'll be out. So, yes, thank you very much for listening. We're Backpage Pod on Twitter, like I say. If you want to send us a question, we'd love to do a new mailbag episode in the new year. I've said that in the last two episodes, but I do mean it. We're slowly racking up questions. So, if you'd like to um, throw yours into the ring, it's uh, backpagegames at gmail.com. Email us about anything you like, and we'll uh, we'll answer that in a future episode. Well, you can t- send us your games of the year. Maybe you can read some out. Yeah, absolutely. Please do. Like, if there's um, there's a game you've played this year that you'd like us to talk about, by all means, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, like I say, you can tweet us as well. Um, I can be found at Samuel W. Roberts on Twitter. M- Matthew, where can people find you? Mr. Basil underscore Pesto. So we'll be back next week with a new episode. We don't know what it's about yet. Maybe it'll be Lord of the Rings. Maybe it'll be our 20 or 21 predictions revisited. Someone will figure something out. A Google <laughs> Doc will be sent around and uh, everything will be fine. So thank you very much for listening. And we'll be back next week. Bye for now. Bye for now.